Welcome, everybody. It is episode 31 of Football A Podcast here with Matt and Bill. And, uh, fellas, I think it was... I'm glad I was, like, inebriated through Sunday because, like, everything I said last week that came out of my mouth was just straight wrong. Like, everything. You got five, right? (laughs) Five games. I mean, fantasy sucked. Picks sucked. (laughs) Just everything was just, like, the worst. So... Yeah, you know, at some point, it's almost like if it's going to be a bad week, just let it be a bad week. Like have your favorite team lose, have your fantasy team get crushed, have all your predictions be wrong and just then you just move on. Like it's 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 kind of better that way, because, I mean, there's nowhere to go but up from here. I mean, unless it happens again the following week. Uh, So the the pendulum enjoy life when the pendulum swings your way because it's going to swing back at least a little bit. So. You know, I was curious before we get into like picks and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is more of a fantasy football question. Okay. Um, but as as you look at your teams, even like historically. Yes. When, because uh, I know that I, I think, uh, me to a lesser extent, because I'm 500. I, Zach, I know you're having a rough season. Matt's, yes. Matt's actually having a pretty solid season. But when do you decide that you need to panic? when you look at your roster like is it is it after the first week is it after the fifth week like when do you say like oh my god i i need to panic i need to try to do like hail mary type trades and stuff like that like when do you panic when you look at your roster so i mean i think that i most people would probably be there in my position now i don't have like my team's put up a decent amount of points but i've just had bad matchups and you know i've also sucked some weeks too I don't think there's any use in panicking period because at least in our league with, if it's a bigger league, you know, like last year I started one and I think six, and I ended up six and seven. So as long as you're making the right moves, like if you can't panicking makes sense, I feel like if you can change the outcome of it, but there's nothing that we can do other than in a deep league, like ours, but then pick up, you know, um, you know, the Browns running back Felton. Like, like there's nothing you can really do if no one's going to trade or dialogue along those or try to rip you off when you attempt to trade. So I feel like you just got to trust yourself. Like, don't panic. Trust yourself. Make, like, some shrewd pickups. And maybe t- you take a risk starting a guy that you normally wouldn't if you need big points. Or maybe you become a little bit more open like that. But I think when you panic, stuff starts going downhill fast. So, yeah, 0-6 right now. And, uh, you know, hey, I, you know, could rattle off eight in a row. So it's it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. I did it, did something close to that last year. So no use in panicking, I, I think. Yeah, I think when you look at it um, as somebody who, for the last two seasons, uh, two seasons ago, I was cursed by the, um, the, the curse of Antonio Brown and the icing of the foot and the various other things that he did that season. Um, and then last year there were some injuries that hit me and I made a mistake and drafted Clyde Edwards Alaire way too early. Um, so there was a lot of challenges there. So, uh, and I had, you know, at the end of the day, like sometimes this comes down to puck luck. Like it's just one of those things where you just either have it or you don't like there's certain weeks, you know, when I, when I've won championships or I've gone far where you see, Hey, I only put up 90 points, but my opponent put up 63. Like it just, sometimes that happens for you and it, it, it goes your way. Sometimes it, it, you know, bounces the other way. But I think for me, the things that, um, 
the last the lessons for me from the last two seasons is when I really start to see that disparity emerge between me and whoever is in the last playoff seed. Mm. So whatever you are in your league, whether it's an eight seed or the yeah. six seed, four seed, whatever, when you really start to see that gap widen and you go like, hey, I got to start getting into a mode where Zach's right. You want to make shrewd picks up, pickups and you, you want to monitor that waiver wire and, and – you know, try to think more deeply about who you might be able to add to your roster, make some of those higher risk types of, of um, starts, you know, someone that you think is more of a boom or bust kind of guy compared to like, Oh man, this guy's going to get me seven points this week. And he's going to get seven points every single week. Like that's not exciting to, to, you know, when, when you're in that situation, you, you really do need to try to maximize the amount of points that you're getting too. Um, but the other piece for me is, you know, analyzing your roster and asking yourself the question, is there somebody here that I can break into multiple assets? So if you're someone who's dealing with injuries and maybe you maybe you lost David Montgomery or maybe you know Kareem Hunt's going on IR, maybe you're losing one of your top tier backs, do you have, you know, a top flight wide receiver that you can break into? A instead of a wide receiver one, you're getting a wide receiver two and an RB two in return. Like you want to fill out your roster to have more talent across the board um, than just relying on like, hey, in order for me to win, I need you know, for example, I need Devonte Adams to score forty points a week in order for me to win. Or can I get those forty points? Or you know, is it more likely that I'm going to get those forty points from? You know, a wide receiver two paired with a nice RB two that's kind of in that you know maybe RB one RB two kind of range. Um, so I think you need to be a little bit more aggressive because listen, if your team's that bad, what do you really have to lose? Like someone's gonna look at you and be like, "Oh, what a terrible trade!" Like, no, man, I'm just trying to win. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and the season's lost anyway. But you know, so what? Yeah. Yeah. I. I, I, I th- oh, go ahead, Bill. No, no, go ahead, Zach. I was just going to say, I think that I think you bring up a really good point, Matt, about looking at the disparity between, you know, like the eighth seed or whatever your playoffs start at and, you know, where you're at now. And I think health matters a lot, too, in terms of are you panicking? Like, for example, the eighth seed in our in our league, Caleb, right now, he's three and three. Uh, I, in last place, have scored like 10 more points than him. And he has Carson McCaffrey and Russell Wilson on IR. So, like, you know, if you're in eighth place and you are three and three and that's your bench, you still might be in panic mode. Like, I don't think panic mode solely exists just mm-hmm. based on your record. Mm. You know, like if you're like me, who's zero and six or um, the guy ahead of or Matt, who's ahead of us at one and five. It's like if your team is healthy and you and you're going to get these banged up teams on your schedule, you may not need to panic. So look at who you have mm-hmm. playing next. Like if you're playing bottom feeders and, you know, you're sitting at two and four right now, you know, maybe before you make a big trade, you just say, okay, let's see, can I, can I get one or two wins and then kind of go from there? Um, so, yeah, I think that's important to remember too. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and, and I think a lot of it, you know, when it comes to panicking comes back to was I actually wrong in the player evaluation when I yeah. was drafting this person or picking them up? Or is it just, hey, he's had either a bad couple of weeks? Was he, you know, slightly injured? Was there something else from a game script perspective that, that caused him to underperform for a couple of weeks in a row and those types of things? So I think that the panic really sets in when you're when you sit back and say, oh, I I 
I missed on the on the player evaluation, you know, and and that that to me is now panic may be too strong of a word. I mean, personal context, my team is three and three. I have the least amount of points scored in the league, but I also have the least amount of points scored against. So like, I don't know really what to make of my team because I had a couple really good weeks, and then I had uh, a week where it just just nobody scored anything. I mean, it was just kind of fluky. I think. I mean, it was the the lowest point total that I've had in probably three years. Um, and, and I, as I look across my own roster, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, it does seem a little bit like, you know, there's room for upside. Like I still believe in the players that I have, but, um, you know, there are some guys that I, that I do feel like I'm panicking about, but, but, but again, panic being, um, maybe a little bit too strong of a word, but there's a couple guys that I feel like, yeah, I, I miss the boat. Uh, or I, or, you know, because of the player evaluation that I made, I was wrong. Um, and, and when that, that sort of, um, thing happens, it's a lot easier to get desperate and try to, for example, um, the, the, uh, the Cleveland running backs, I mean, take your pick between the, the two that are available on most leagues, um, you know, that's going to be a one week rental probably because um, cream hunts out for a while, but um, Chubb is going to be back. So, you know, do you get desperate enough, especially with somebody like myself who has the number one waiver priority right now? Do I, do I blow that number one waiver priority on probably a one week rental? Yeah. It might help me win this week, but you know, I'm not in dire straits. I'm not, I'm not, you know, one in five or zero in six. So, I mean, to me, that also would would qualify as a panic move if I did something like that because yep. that's a very valuable waiver priority to just give up for a one week rental. Um, so I, I was just curious on your guys's you know opinions there. I, I you know I, I know we we talk a little bit about fantasy, but you know I, I think especially for the listeners, um, this is it seems like the last couple of weeks have been you know sort of a come to Jesus about like hey, is my team actually good? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's easy to start that, that sort of self-doubt process and you sort of play the, the draft back in your head, like, oh, if I would have just picked this person or this person, you know, even though you would have thought yourself totally insane for doing that at the time, which is the beauty of uh, fantasy football. I have 160 more points scored against me than you do, Bill. That's crazy. That's nuts. <laughs> I mean, not making excuses. There's guys I missed on, but my team just hasn't put together like a full week. Like I'll have Harris go off and then, but then CD lamb will have like two points that week. And then Harris will score a touchdown the week after, but then, you know, Malcolm Brown doesn't have like any catches. It's just, or uh, Marquise yeah. Brown, sorry. But. Yeah. You know, and that, that, that brings up another point too, just to, to comment about the draft strategy. So I was not a zero RB guy by any means going into our draft, but I kind of was forced into that sort of mold of, of team structure just because of where I was picking and, and who was on the board at that time. Um, and what I've seen is, you know, any one of these receivers that I have, cause I have, I have some, you know, top two, what I would consider a bunch of wide receiver ones, at least going into the season, that may not be the case now, but, um, you know, a bunch of guys that were really highly prized wide receivers and, you know, one of them will go off and then another one will have kind of a bad game or the other one will get hurt halfway in between the game, you know, the, the first and second quarter. Or, so there is a lot more variability there. I, I mean, I think there's opportunity for some smash weeks there, but when you have that workhorse running back, it's just so much more reliable. I mean, yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's something just the commentary on team makeup. Yeah. I, you know, alternatively to the zero running back strategy, I think I adopted 
I guess the running back hoarding strategy. I mean, I just, I think coming out of the draft, I had like five or six of them that, um, and, and I think that's a huge piece for trying to avoid some of these lulls that people experience. Like one of our, one of our league owners has lost Christian McCaffrey and he's lost Chris Carson. And then all of a sudden you end up starting, I, I don't know his team intimately, but there's, you know, you end up starting Mark Ingram or somebody like that. And you're like, okay, great. This is, this is no upside. This isn't going to work out for me. Um, but in my situation, I mean, my goodness, I lost Gus Edwards. I lost Raheem Mostert. You know, I, I've lost, I think there's another guy who's no longer on my roster. I dropped him or something cause he was gone for the season or whatever. But like, just I've absorbed, I think two or three running backs out for the season. And I still have three, RB ones, RB twos, just because I hoarded them. And that's how in the past, when I've gone to championships and won championships, it's been on the strength of, you know, three or four, you know, RB ones, RB twos, and even like RB three flex guys. Um, Cause that position, it's such rare commodity to be able to come into uh, a situation where someone has, has volume. They have touchdown upside, they have receiving upside. So you know, these running backs are, they still remain the most important commodity in fantasy. Um, and so I think that's when you're structuring your teams, you know, for whatever reason that has worked out for me, I'm sure people have, you know, other ways it's worked out for them, but I just, I'm a big believer in just, just hoard those guys. Cause someone's going to have an opportunity. Somebody's going to get hurt. Someone's going to emerge as a, as a, you know, random superstar, a la James Robinson or whoever it would be. And like, you don't know who that guy's going to be and they, they could pop mid season. Yeah. You, you know, the other thing I think about too, you know, when, and this will be our last you know, comment and then we can get on to the, the game, uh, game picks and stuff. But one of the things that we hear a lot, and it's almost like a trope in face football is that the guy's a better fantasy player than he is a real football player. Um, I think this is the first time that I've experienced the opposite of that um, with with Chase Edmonds. Um, the dude averages like 15 yards a carry or something ridiculous. I mean, he's he's his. I think his last stat line was like four carries for 46 yards or something. Um, and he is a great player, but the problem is when I drafted him, I kind of thought, okay, Arizona is going to be in a lot of games until the end. It's going to be a lot of like shootouts and really hotly contested type games, and they're blowing people out. And because they're blowing people out, Chase Edmonds is getting, you know, a handful of catches and he's getting, you know, four carries for 46 yards and no touchdowns ever. Um, and James Conner is getting 16 carries. And yeah, he's going to get like 32 yards on those 16 carries, but he's going <laughs> to fall into the end zone because that's what they use him for. I mean, I swear it's like there's some sort of, uh, you know, grudge that Kingsbury has against, you know, Chase Edmonds actually scoring a touchdown. Um, but that's something I, I had not anticipated as the Cardinals being so good that and and you think about running back game strip normally that if, if the team's performing well, then the running back's getting more carries. But because of the way that Edmonds is used, that's not the case. You, you almost want them to be losing or chasing the game so that he that he plays more and gets more catches. Um, so it's it's just sort of stuff like that. But you've got to kind of make those reevaluations as you go down as you go down the stretch here in the season to just say, even if you look at the guy's schedule, like if I look at the Cardinals, like, are they going to play anybody that that's going to give them a game? Yeah. Um, and, and that's going to determine a lot about my, my rest of the season outlook's going to be on somebody like Edmonds. Well, speaking of fantasy, there are a lot of fantasy players out this week or on by, I should say Cowboys, 
Steelers, a couple other teams too are on by. They have a lot of like fancy players too. Yeah, a lot of people losing their Jaguars this week. It's going to be a hard week. <laughs> hey, Urban, I don't know. I don't even know what Urban's doing now. I don't know. He got a win somehow because Miami's because Miami's such a disaster. He got a win, but congratulations! Wow, great job, Urban. No, he's still on thin ice. He's still on thin ice. Yeah, I was really hoping. I was really hoping that they were going to lose because my prediction would come true that he'd be fired on the way home from London. But I don't know. Not enough, you know, nightclubs and bars in London for him to go (laughs) drown his sorrows in. So, So in terms of oh, good. Go yeah, I was going to say, in terms of the picks, um, you know, we'll, I guess we'll recap last week and then we'll dive into it if that's what's, what's uh, good for you guys. Sounds good. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, you know, we'll just kind of start. We'll get the, the bad news out of the way. You know, Zach already kind of admitted that <laughs> it was a rough week for him. So rough week fantasy, rough week on the picks. Um, there were a couple bright spots. Um, oh, come on, you, you don't have to do that, Matt. You can just you were you were on Jacksonville. Um, you're one of two of us that were on Jacksonville for Miami. So you you rode with Urban Meyer. I don't know how you feel about that as personally, but yeah. you know whatever. Um, and you were on Indy, so you're two one of two of us that were on Indy um, against Houston. So you you got that one. What was um, I? Five and eleven or five and ten? You're five and nine. Five and nine. You're five okay. and nine. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you got Jacksonville, the the Los Angeles Rams, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, and then Dallas. Okay. Um, so you finished five and nine. Um, still pretty good overall. Um, you know, one bad week, you know, certainly doesn't do anything, but it did give me a little bit of time to try to catch up <laughs> for my four and eleven performance in week two. Um, and then you look at that at me. Uh, so Bill and I tied both eight and six last week. Um, good calls from me. Um, I was the only one of us on Baltimore okay. over the Los Angeles Chargers. So uh, they proved me right. Um, picked Arizona over Cleveland. Um, was also on Indy, Kansas City, um, Cincinnati, Green Bay. Um, so yeah, all all uh, all victories there. I missed out on Miami, um, which I still feel pretty crappy about. But you know, oh well, it happens. And then Bill uh, finished eight and six. He was the only one of us on Philadelphia to cover against Tampa Bay. So good call by him. Um, He was on Jacksonville, Kansas City, Los Angeles Rams, um, called Cincinnati and Green Bay, uh, was one of two of us on Arizona, and then he got Dallas as well. Um, And really, we were all pretty close on not getting Dallas um, (laughs) had they not scored that touchdown, which uh, was the the winner. If they would have kicked a field goal, that would have changed the, uh, the complexion of that game for all of us. Um, so yeah, five and nine from Zach, eight and six from me, eight and six from Bill. We all survived as well once again. Um, so Zach was on Tampa, got the victory over Philadelphia. Um, I was sweating it out. I think for the, for the second week in a row, I was on green Bay during the field goal fest in week five, week six, I picked Dallas. Um, so CD lamb saved my surviving, um, or my survivor, uh, pick. And Bill was on Kansas City over the Washington football team. So Bill was sweating it out for about a half while Kansas City bumbled around against a severely overmatched Washington football team um, on the ever somber occasion of the retirement of, of Sean Taylor. Um, great pictures of the road sign in front of porta potties. Oh, uh, Dan Snyder dressed up for the occasion wearing a hoodie um, to have pictures with Sean Taylor's family. So that was just such a class organization. Um, definitely not a deflection from uh, the John. John Gruden uh, mayhem that is embroiling the Washington football team. But, um, 
Outside of that, this was a relatively controversy-free week, so we can just move into the picks if you guys want to ignore my um, my jabs at uh, Dan Snyder and company. Sure, sure. I, I, I would prefer to not take the John Gruden, Dan Snyder, Urban Meyer bait. Um, so, so let's get to the picks. <laughs> there we go. Then okay, we will so. get to the picks. Um, so we are going to start out with the Thursday night matchup. Uh, two teams that uh, started out with pretty bright... Um, outlooks and have since lost a bunch of games. Um, so Denver uh, three and three. They're going to be visiting Cleveland on Thursday night, who is also three and three, uh, tied with Pittsburgh for the bottom of the AFC North. Cleveland, uh, despite all of their injuries, is favored by three and a half. Um, and you know, just a question opposed to both of you: um, Has Cleveland become the most annoying fan base in the NFL this season? They they have, I think, but it's so great on Twitter. Just, you know, half of them hate Baker Mayfield. Other half, like, will defend him to the death. You know, they're so upset they're not a Super Bowl team. The, uh, the other people still think they are, and they're, like, just rabidly fighting against each other. And it's all because they set expectations way too high. It is mm-hmm. so freaking funny. It's funny. I, I, I feel like there was a, a bit of a analogy that just popped into my mind as we were as you know we were, I was preparing for this particular episode um Cleveland feels to me like the new Star Wars movies like the the most recent trilogy where I think Cleveland like the 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 rabid defenders of those movies which are objectively terrible um you know they 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 want to feel like they have the same vibe like they're the next dynasty, like the seventies Steelers, the eighties Forty Niners, nineties Cowboys, two thousands Patriots. Like they feel like this team is just that good. Everyone else thinks they suck, or they're not nearly in that in that realm. And then you look at like a team like the Mandalorian, which is or the the Buffalo Bills, which is kind of like the Mandalorian. Like they're actually good. It's actually interesting. It's actually kind of like the team that you know or the the old movies like it has that vibe like i feel like this could be a potentially di- you know dynastic team um and so it feels to me like the same type of people that defend um that defend the new star wars trilogy are the same type of people that are like no man the browns are still good everything's going to be great we're all going to just you know we're going to the super bowl like no you're not you have some good visual effects but the story and the substance just isn't there like they so look, that's my like they look past all evidence just because they want to hope like they want it to happen yeah yeah just kind of like those diehard fanboys so i figured yep. if bill can make it like an f-boy island <laughs> is an <that> analogy <laughs> then then maybe i can make a star wars analogy yeah, absolutely. Uh, so i would, I would rather watch f-boy island than than the, the star wars movies the new ones yeah for sure yeah um i will say this um I think a lot of it has to do with the perspective of your average fan. And now every, every fan base, I don't care who it is, has annoying fans and cool fans because there are annoying humans and cool humans in the world. Like I I love it when people say, Oh, this fan base is super annoying. Like, come on, they're all just people. I mean, you know, as somebody who lived in, who lives in Florida um, and I don't have Sunday ticket, a lot of times what I do is I will go to a place like a bar or whatever that has Sunday ticket and watch the game. And, you know, when I first moved down here before, you know, my, my wife moved down and all that stuff, I was just sitting by myself with a bunch of like random sports fans. Like 
I I know a, a couple of Colts fans that were absolutely like super super cool. There were a couple of Browns fans that were super super cool. There was one Saints guy that was a total jag. Like it just doesn't matter. It's 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 yeah. all one experience. And if you have one experience with somebody that's wearing a jersey, it's like oh, there you just paint with a with a broad brush. That said, I think in terms of the annoyingness of the the Browns fan base, I think a lot of it is the fact that they still haven't won a Super Bowl. I, I think if you're talking to a Steeler fan or you're talking to a Denver fan, for example, that have, have actually watched their team in the recent past win a Super Bowl, you kind of you kind of look at the team a little bit differently. Like I, as a Steeler fan, the Steelers are not win the Super Bowl this year. I know that. I know they're they're a mediocre football team, but I'm still going to support them. I'm still going to root for them. But for Cleveland, the the thought of resigning another team to like, oh hey, well we might make the playoffs kind of thing. We won't win the Super Bowl. That that just is is it it hurts their brains. I think. Um, and I, I think there's a lot to be said for the passion of a fan base being often, um, misconstrued as being irritating. Like I'm sure. And I'm, I mean, I know for a fact, like when the, when the Steelers were going to their first Super Bowl, I was a nightmare to watch the Steeler games with, cause I was yelling and screaming and all that stuff. Cause I'd never seen them win the Super Bowl. But after a while, it's like, okay, like I, I get it now. I'm still a little anim- animated, but it's, it's bearable, um, you know, but I think that that has a lot to do with the way that Cleveland fans act and also the way that they're perceived. And I think that they're, I think you're uh, hitting on a point there, Bill, this, this goes just like teams, you know, there's the old adage of teams have to learn how to win. So do fan bases to a certain extent as well. I experienced, Absolutely. I experienced something very similar, you know, with the pirates that, that, you know, three year stretch with the pirates were really good. People here in Pittsburgh, and I didn't live here at the time, but people here in Pittsburgh didn't know how to, you know, they were so used to cheering on football that was good. And every game in football is, is is do or die. You know, it's a 16th year season. It means so much. In baseball, it's not the same. So you have people who are recently Pirates fans who are living and dying you know, with a game, you know, July 19th when they give up maybe two runs in the ninth and lose. Like, yes, you don't want that, but, you know, you win the series, the long season, like, no one got hurt, like, you're fine, like, let's move on to the next game. And there's things that, like, Cleveland, I feel like, is doing that too. Like, if Pittsburgh 3-3, three and three, people, are, you know, aren't happy about it, but I don't think they're necessarily maybe as worried because, you know, the Steelers have been 3-3 three and three and have turned out to, you know, go deep in the playoffs or win a Super Bowl. You know, the Browns don't have history. Those fans don't know what it's like to experience a team going 3-3 three and three and then still succeeding. So right now it feels like the sky is falling. So I think fans need to learn how to win with a lot of these fan bases, you know, just like the teams do. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement. And speaking of fans, um, early in our, in our podcast's um, tenure, there was a Broncos fan uh, who what was the 13 and four yeah, was his, yep, was, was his it, belief and four Denver was going to be 13 and four. So this is a big game for that Broncos fan because if, <laughs> if they lose on Thursday night, Zach is going to pelt his DMS with, uh, <laughs> with just some reminders. Well, um, first start with just the wave emoji, you know, like, hello, remember, yeah, remember hey. this. 
Hey, remember that time you said they were going to go 13 and four and it's week six and they're three and three. Um, so if they lose uh, that prediction, well, maybe you, maybe you need to wait two weeks. You yeah. need to wait till they hit their fifth loss. Um, it looks like it may be coming relatively quickly for Denver um, after they, how they've looked the last three weeks. So what are we thinking in terms of picks? Like I, I uh, you know, before we got lost into my weird analogies on star Wars and fan base complaining, um, Cleveland favored by three and a half. I, so oh, go ahead, go for it, Bill. So I, I think that um, speaking of weirdness, I always like to buy into the Thursday night weirdness. I don't, I mean, like I, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if I've missed this uh, a Thursday night call yet, and and the reason is you just have to anticipate like the absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think in this particular game, yes, Cleveland is at home. There are a couple things. That, actually, there's several things, though, if you're a Cleveland fan, to be concerned about. Obviously, the running backs are both out, and you've got two untested guys that are going to be running the football. I don't think that's a massive deal, but certainly when it's Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, two of the best in the business, then, yeah, that's a problem. I mean, it's not like your mediocre running back is, is going to miss time. Your top two running backs are going to miss time. Um, Baker Mayfield injury. I don't care if anytime they tell you he doesn't need surgery right now. Like if it's me, like I'm getting surgery, like he doesn't need surgery right now. It's like, it's sort of like saying like, Oh, you don't need a new like engine in your car. Like right now, like, yeah, you'll be all right. Like that's not really how that should go. Um, I, I do think it's been a, uh, it's, 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 encouraging to see him try to gut it out. And I, and I think that speaks a lot to his, to his leadership recently, but um, I understand it's not his throwing shoulder, but it's, it's obviously been hampering him. I think that's going to be a big problem. Odell Beckham still hurt. I'm not sure how much that hurts or helps Uh, Landry. I don't know if he's back um, yet or not. Um, But honestly, the, the one I worry about uh, probably the second most other than Mayfield is uh, Jeremiah Owusu Koroma? Um, he was actually, and I'm I, I'm not a you know big believer in in PFF rankings, but he was the number one rated PFF linebacker, um, and he's going to miss several weeks due to an ankle injury, um, and I think that that's a big blow. And and as I look at the other side of the ball uh, with Denver, I mean, yeah, they've they've had their struggles in recent weeks, but. Um, I think if Teddy B can recapture a little bit of, of the magic, I think they've still got some, some weapons. I think this could be a big Melly Gordon spot. Um, and I think that the defense is playing, yeah, they've, they've not looked great, but I think this is maybe a little bit of a sneaky Broncos win here just because of all the injuries at Cleveland, uh, how bad that they've looked. I mean, they got crushed by the, by the Cardinals. It was not particularly close. Uh, hence the reason Chase Edmonds only had four carries. Um, and I think that I, I, th- I think that Denver as, is going to win this game. And at the very least, I, I think that three and a half is enough for them to cover even if they don't. So g- give me Denver here. Uh, I'm right there with you, Bill. I When you look at – I don't know why the Browns would still be favored. And, you know, based – people who listen to us just talk about the fan base, you know, they'll expect me to probably hate that actual team more than I really do. I like this Browns team when healthy, but the issue is they're not. And they have – and I get this weird vibe um, Stefan, from this team. Stefanski said earlier in the week, oh, we all kind of feel out of sync at this point. Like, I just thought that's kind of an odd thing for a head coach um, to say. 
um, you know, like after a big loss like the Cardinals. If you look at the Browns, they're 20th in expected points added offensively and defensively. So then you look at the matchup and say, who has the best, which team has the best unit on the field? And the Broncos defense is the sixth best defense in terms of expected points added. It's the fourth best in terms of run defense. So you you combine that with the fact that the Browns like to run um, and their top two running backs are out and their quarterback has a torn labrum, which is that you can only be so effective with a torn labrum. Uh, And that's, that doesn't even take into consideration everyone else on that roster who's, who's banged up. So I'm taking Browns three uh, or Broncos, sorry, Broncos plus three and a half. I almost feel like the spread should be the other way. Like it should be Broncos minus three and a half. So, uh, but yeah, give me, give me the Broncos. Yeah. I'm in agreement with you guys. Um, Listen, this was a 37 to 14 beatdown of the Cleveland Browns. This game was not close. It was never really close. Um, and seven of those points, or I guess six of those points, not counting the extra point, came on a fluke Hail Mary. And when I look at this Cleveland offense, and especially with with a hobbled Nick Chubb, and you're missing Kareem Hunt, who is, I mean, my goodness, this guy's been a top 10 running back. And he's the, the second running back on his team. I mean, this is a dynamic playmaker that they're losing here. Um, this offense in the passing game just doesn't look right. Odell Beckham was relatively productive, I think, for one of the few times in his Cleveland Brown career. Um, I liked what I saw from Donovan Peoples-Jones. I think he's a solid number two. Maybe you get Jarvis Landry back. I understand all those things. But the play calling and the game plan, um, and I, I've I've been a proponent of Kevin Stefanski on this program as, as a really good tactician, a very good strategic coach and, and kind of an X's and O's guy and understands how to, how to um, do things. The game plan was horrific offensively mm-hmm. for the Cleveland Browns. I mean, you open up the game and I understand you want to maybe mitigate some of the risk with Kareem hunt, even though he still got hurt. Um, but throwing the ball early and often, kind of ignoring the run uh you know i think kareem hunt got like maybe one or two screen passes thrown his way or or passes coming out of the backfield which it was is another way to get him the ball you could have used felton a little bit more in the passing game if you wanted to mitigate some of the risk in terms of how you were getting touches to your backs i just really didn't like the game plan and schematically a comparable team and a comparable scheme to what Arizona ran is Denver. Two significant edge rushers. They run kind of that three, four style of defense, you know, dynamic playmakers in the middle, um, you know, like what Arizona has uh, and, and good talent on the back end, which Arizona has displayed in all the turnovers they've created this year. Um, this matchup just doesn't bode well for me. Um, and if you take away the run game from Cleveland, and we and even go back to the to the AFC um, North preview that we did, if you take away Cleveland's run game, this team is just not the same. Um, and the defense outside of Miles Garrett, who's hampered with injury, and Jadavian Clowney, I'm not seeing very much here. There's a lot of free agent acquisitions. I haven't even heard John Johnson's name all yeah, he's year. Not played well. He has not played well. He's not good in the secondary. Denzel Ward is really the only notable guy it seems they have. Greg Newsom has been okay the first couple of weeks, but 
also hampered by injury. Nothing about this game seems to to bode well for Cleveland. I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about sinking the ship and saying Cleveland's not going to make the playoffs and they're a horrible team and they're going to finish. That's not what I'm saying here. There's still hope for this team, but I don't think there's hope for them this week. Concur. What I think will be really interesting, they lose this week, they go three and four. That sets up a Halloween day game with the Steelers at home coming off a of bye. And in that week, you'll see a lot of, you know, oh, 40, you know, wild card game posts, but the Br- Browns fans will be extremely nervous that week if a three and four Browns team hosts the Steelers. Um, that would be great. That I'm just rooting for the story there. Yeah, that would be interesting so, to see. So we're all on Denver? We're all on Denver. All on Denver. Um, so we'll move into the next game. We've got Kansas City and Tennessee. Kansas City favored by five and a half. Um, I'll kick us off here. Um, I'm 100% on Tennessee. And the rationale that I have is is... Kansas City just still doesn't look right to me. They just don't. I mean, they it took a it took kind of a ferocious fourth quarter to beat the Washington football team, who has a really underperforming and pretty bad defense. Um, they have a pretty bad secondary, and you know Mahomes really couldn't seem to get going here. I mean, he threw for a lot of yards and things, but um, the offense just did not look as efficient as it has in the past. Um, and this defense just, you know, hey, they sort of slowed down Taylor Heineke, um, but they gave up a lot of yards in the process. And Derrick Henry is just another – he's just different. MVP. Like he's just, yeah, I mean, he very well should be in the MVP conversation. Um, and I don't see any scenario in which Kansas City can stop Derrick Henry – but I also look at it and I say, you know, hey, A.J. Brown had a nice game last night, seven catches for 91 yards. Julio Jones was more involved in the passing game. You know, when you have such a dominant run game that draws so much attention, I think it's only a matter of time until the passing game starts to pop here. Um, I don't see anybody in the Kansas city secondary, that's going to be able to compete with, with AJ Brown and, and, um, and Julio Jones. Uh, so I think they're both going to have nice days. I think Derrick Henry, there's nothing that Kansas city can really do to stop him. Um, and when you watch Tennessee's defense and how they played Josh Allen, now Josh Allen still put up yards, but he's Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes is still going to put up mar- yards because he's Patrick Mahomes. Like there's still going to be those types of plays. But Tennessee played Josh uh, Josh Allen in a very similar way to how um, um, oh my gosh, what was the uh, who was the team that beat Kansas uh, Buffalo played Kansas City? Thank sorry. Um, <laughs> Conversation with himself right there for a quick second. Yeah, to how to how <laughs> Buffalo played. I was trying to remember who the team was, and it was already one of my examples. But Tennessee played Buffalo two safeties back. They they made Buffalo work their way down the field through more small increments in ways they were gaining yardage. With that type of template, 
Tennessee, I think, can give Kansas City problems. Kansas City does not want to go on long, sustained drives. They still proved that against Washington. They 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 still tried to score in big chunks. That's kind of the way they've operated. And I think Tennessee playing sort of the two safeties back, mitigating their risk with with Tyreek Hill um, and making Kansas City go on these long drives. They're going to make mistakes. Um, so I think Tennessee can play ball control. I, I'm 100% on Tennessee in this game. I, I am, I'm going to take Tennessee as well. And to your point, Matt, it's like it clicked at the end of the Washington football game for Kansas City. They went on a 15-play, 96-yard drive, took seven minutes. And that was the, that's the first you know, type drive they had, you know, I, I don't know, probably all season. Uh, but it's like it finally mm-hmm. clicked then. But that's not what they want to do. It's against who they are. It's against who Mahomes is. It's against who Andy Reid is. And, you know, this is an interesting game because they're both bottom eight defenses. Chiefs are the worst. Um, And that's just not saying the worst. They are literally the worst. Um, But they have a little bit better of an offense uh, of the Titans. But, you know, Derrick Henry might run for 200 yards in this game. Um, Mm -hmm. I would probably put like 50 bucks on it just, you know, because I think think there's a real possibility um, of that happening. And, you know, it's this one was really tough for me to pick. But I think, like you said, uh, Matt, they have a similar game plan. They'll probably use a similar game plan to slow down the homes they did Allen. And the important thing, the important part of that game, and what's going to be very, what's going to be very uh, critical for the Titans is that early in the game, they keep the Chiefs out of the end zone. The same thing happened. They made Josh Allen and the Bills settle for two field goals, I think, in the first quarter, and that really started changing the dynamic of the game. And then Derrick Henry had his, you know, 300-yard run or whatever after that. And then I think something similar could happen here to these Chiefs because the Chiefs aren't nearly as good as the Bills. And the, and I know it's you can it's dangerous doing that because every team's different, every matchup's different, but I just don't see how the matchups change to um out out of Tennessee's favor after this week. So um yeah, I think Titans I think Titans may win at home and Derrick Derrick Henry's honestly he should be the MVP through 6 weeks. Well, Zach, I, I agree with your uh, with your assessment of, of the MVP piece. Um, I, I mean, Henry's been unreal, and I, you know, as somebody that watched that game, I mean, it, he is just he's he's like not human. I mean, it, most running backs could not do what he does. I very I don't know if anybody else can in this league. How many carries is going to end up with this year? Uh, he could end up with like four hundred and fifty carries. Yeah. I mean, it, it it could it could happen, and I don't know how you can sustain that. But then you look at the guy and like, ah, oh, he'll be all right. You know. <laughs> Um, all that being said, um, I'm, I'm taking Kansas city here. Um, and the reason I'm doing that is, is there's a comp that I, that I, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are. Um, the, these Tennessee Titans remind me of the late stage Pittsburgh Steelers with the killer bees in that they play up and down to their level of competition. This is the same Tennessee Titans team that lost to the New York jets. I mean, I, I, and I understand that they played very well against Buffalo, but if you watch that game, Buffalo was able to easily still move the ball and they were a couple questionable quarterback sneakish type calls away from really losing that game. Um, you know, I, I, no, I'm, I'm not going to question Sean McVay. I mean, he's been, he's been, you know, um, or not Sean McVay. Who's the, 
Bill's coach, uh, Sean, McDermott. Uh, Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott. That's it. Um, I mean, because he's been he's been great, but um, I, I'm not sure that that's the call I would have made because everybody in the stadium knew that that was going to be the call and that quarterback sneak. Um, I just, I, I mean, I think this game is going to be a circus regardless. I mean, I, mean, the, I think the over-under is like 57. Um, I, I mean, I think it could go to 70, I mean, and, and still be too low. Uh, I think it's going to be a back-and-forth game, but I don't think that – I just don't see Tennessee's defense stopping Kansas City. I just don't. Um, I mean, even Darrell Williams played well last last week, and I understand they're playing against a very deeply flawed, you know, Washington football team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that if you look at the totality of the body of work of Tennessee, I think they played up to the Bills on Monday night. I think that that lo- I think that that's going to take a lot out of them, um, and it's almost like one of those. And I, I you can't call the Chiefs a trap game, but I think they got up for a really big game on Monday night. And I think they might come out a little flat against Kansas City. Um, so just a hunch here. I just don't trust Tennessee's defense to be able to even slow down uh, Kansas City. Um, and I I think that Henry's going to get his. Uh, hopefully, A.J. Brown has another big game because it's just kind of good to see him play well. Oh, he's on my fantasy team. Um, but I think that I think Kansas city ends up winning this game. And I think it's by greater than five. I, I got Kansas city by a touchdown. Okay. I, I just believe that the, the Titans are going to want to limit, like they're not going to have to stop Mahomes that, that often because they're going to limit the opportunities. Like the Washington football team kept it close. They did not do that. They had, you know, first quarter or first half drives, four yards, three plays, three plays, six yards, uh, uh, three plays, 16 yards, Three plays, fourteen yards. Like that's the the Titans. Even though they're maybe they may not be elite offensively, they are still going to make the Kansas City defense work, and they're going to limit those opportunities. Where Kansas City is going to have to play, in my opinion, probably nearly close to perfect um, in order to to win. I think if the Titans keep the Chiefs out of the end zone in the first quarter, they win this game. I just don't see that happening. That's yeah. I think yeah. the reason why I have the the, the Chiefs and, and you know the other factor in this too that we haven't talked about is Julio Jones is hurt again. I mean the hamstring. I mean it's not working out again. Uh, so I would rather take uh, Mahomes, Kelsey, and uh, and Hill and and Daryl Williams versus uh, Tannehill, Henry granted and and AJ Brown and then yeah. Nick Nick Westbrook Aquina or whatever. I mean, I just think that there's there's more available weapons for Kansas City, so that's why I'm uh, that's why I'm making the pick. I will say one one last thing, and it's not so much about this particular game, but Buffalo doesn't have a game, um, so I want to comment on last night's sneak call. And I saw it in the Steelers and Seahawks game. I, I see it all over the NFL. There are certain coaches, and I think Sean McDermott is one of them. Mike Tomlin is another. Pete Carroll is another that are like the old school, like we're going to line them up and we got to be tougher than the other guy. And what you know, like, but like, that's dumb. Like add some creativity. I, I thought that call was really, really poor when you could have easily spread the formation out a little bit. You've got a running quarterback like Josh Allen who can make plays with his legs. I don't understand why these coaches and some of these short, you know, fourth and ones and third and one situations, like why are they aren't being more creative with, their mobile quarterbacks um, and giving that run pass option where not necessarily like an RPO, but if things don't work out, 
Josh Allen's going to be able to create on his own or Patrick Mahomes will be able to create on his own. Some of these guys can do that on their own. Um, so the lack of creativity in, you know, short yardage situations um, and critical short yardage situations um, is is a little bit disconcerting for me when I look at NFL coaches. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. This one I feel like is a little bit different, at least from my perspective. It's like, you know, Josh Allen has been he, – he's he may be the best red zone rusher in football the last two years, and you're, what, six inches away from a first down. I think that Dable did kind of get a little bit too cute with it by making him fake like he was not he was not going to call the play, but he's looking at the D. Like that stuff had to go. And I agree with you. In a vacuum, I would have chosen something that, you know, gave a run pass option, a sneak option, you know so, – more options the better on fourth and short, um, but at the same time, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get too bad on a shape about it because I think nine times out of ten that play works. Yeah, no, I think you're right, but I just I look at it and like you guys got to be a little more creative yeah. on some of these these critical situations. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but moving on, we got two on Tennessee and Bill uh, Lone Rangering on um, Kansas City. Our next game, um, Washington football team uh, traveling to Lambeau Field to face the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay favored by nine and a half. What do you guys got? I want to love, I mean, I want to love Washington football team. I really do. Uh, they just won't let me do it. They're so, this is the third worst defense in terms of expected points. Um, added. They've given up the most pass yards of any team. They've given up the most pass touchdowns. They've given up the most air yards. They've given up the most uh, first downs through the air. So what I'm trying to say is that expect a big game uh, from from Aaron Rodgers. Over half of the offensive drives against Washington football team ends in a touchdown. They are the only team where that number is greater than 50%. Um, this is not the Packers offense that you're used to or that, you know, or that your teenage self was used to, but they're going to be efficient enough to win this game by 12 to 13 points. Um, one stat interesting for you guys that I bet you don't know. Opponents are 15 for 15 in the red zone against green Bay. Um, but, you know that's a ter- it's the worst percentage in football, but they're limiting teams getting there. They have one of the lowest attempts um, in the red zone in the NFL, and I don't see a Taylor Heineke offense with pos- without possibly Antonio Gibson really making a dent in that. So I think the Packers win by probably 11, 12 points. I'm taking Packers minus nine and a half. Yeah, I think that this is one of those games that that Green Bay has every once in a while where they just win by like a gajillion points. Like th- <laughs> this this to me feels like that kind of game. I, Washington's defense was has been incredibly overrated early in the season. Um, you know, I, I don't think Aaron Rodgers, you know, even musses his hair throwing for four touchdowns. Like I, I just don't see I just don't see how this team could keep up. Even even, you know, a Green Bay defense that's, you know, I think they played better in recent weeks, but they've also had, you know, a little bit of an easier schedule. Um, but I don't think that stops here. You know, Taylor Heineke has, has filled in, you know, I think as well as he could, but he's, I mean, I think he's pretty limited. I think Terry McLaurin could have a nice day for sure, but, you know, Antonio Gibson's hurt. Um, you know, I mean, when you're, when you've got a fracture in your leg and you're like, ah, you know, I'm just, I'm just limited. (laughs) Like, uh, I don't know about that. Um, you know, I, I think that I just don't think that, that Washington has the horses to, to keep up in this game at all. Um, I think, I think Green Bay wins this by, by multiple scores. Yeah. Green Bay, um, Green Bay's the, the pick for me too. Um, I think this might be a, a sneaky play for, uh, 
those who are continuing to wait on Robert Tanyan to do literally anything. Mm. Um, this could be this could be a sneaky play um, for some of those folks who have either been dealing with him all season, um, or if you were looking for someone to DFS who you know I think a lot of people have maybe given up on. Um, dude's got a lot of of talent still, um, and I think Green Bay is looking for ways. Aaron Rodgers has even been. Um, has even commented that he is looking for ways to get Tanya more involved. So I think this, that's a sneaky DFS play for some of you folks out there. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just far too much firepower on this green Bay offense. Um, Washington football team's defense just has proven they can't stop the run and they can't stop the pass. And you've got Devonte Adams and Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers coming into town. I just don't see how this is going to work out. So I think, yeah, green Bay, uh, by a mile. While while we are talking about uh, tight end uh, touchdowns, big shout out to my my guy Ricky Seals Jones for uh, for scoring last week. Uh, for those of you that DFS, then you're welcome. There you go, there you go. Bill's been on it for like three weeks, and then one of three he scores. He's like, I called it. And just for- hey, I will I will say, Juwan Johnson in week one scored two touchdowns. So yeah. if you need random tight end advice, I'm I'm here for you. Um, and, That's true. And just watch out for big big Tommy Tremble game coming up. I will say Ooh. Bill is has elite tight end knowledge. Oh, 100%. He does. And, he does. And Robert Tanyan's stats, I didn't know they were this bad this year. 11 catches oh, on 20 targets, 92 yards, and a touchdown. That's it. Ugh. That's Yikes. It. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, that, and most of, most of that production came in the Detroit game, the Monday night Detroit game. Um, but I'll, mm-hmm. he's not gotten he's not gone over six yards in any game outside of that Detroit game. Wow. Um, but I think that'll change this weekend. I could also see a long one to like uh, MVS or something like that with just how bad that secondary is. How does yeah. how do his numbers compare to, to Mercedes Lewis? Because I feel like Mercedes Lewis may have more yards than he does. Mercedes, it's close. So Mercedes Lewis has six catches to Tawny's 11. Um, he has 77 yards to Tawny's 92. But it's like right there. Mercedes Lewis, TE1. They're almost been, been in the almost. league since dinosaurs walked the earth. Much, much love to Mercedes Lewis. I feel like he was getting drafted in like 2007, even. I'm oh, pride, dude, pride he's, of, been, he's been in the league forever. Yeah, prior to UCLA, I think he was a first round pick by the Jacksonville, Jacksonville. Jaguars. 2006, yeah. he came into the league and he spent, oh my god, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years in Jacksonville. Holy Christ. Oh. <sighs> Glutton for punishment. <laughs> Seriously, God, I'm so yeah. No wonder he plays for Green Bay. But he said, "Just, just give me a, just pay for a hotel room, and I'll don't give me anything else. I'll play for free." Yeah, yeah. Well, good enough. So we are all in agreement on Green Bay. Um, next matchup we're going to move to is an AFC North bout of the top two teams in the AFC North. Um, not necessarily two teams that most people thought and maybe for one of them maybe um cincinnati traveling to baltimore um cincinnati coming off an absolute bludgeoning of the detroit lions baltimore coming off of a resounding victory against um the los angeles chargers um which was a bit of a surprise for most of us who thought that was going to be a close game baltimore favored by six well, watching that Baltimore Chargers game, that's when the drinking began to increase in uh, in quantity when I saw that Marquise Brown was not going to get any any points. Um, but yeah, a, a shocker for sure. I think the you know, Bengals D is legit. They do everything well. Um, they, you know, limit third downs um, 
pretty well. They limit red zone percentage pretty well. Um, they're tough against the run. They're tough against the pass. I like what they're doing, and I think this is a quarterback, you know, in Joe Burrow that is very obviously very different than Lamar, but can orchestrate an offense that keeps them off the field. Um, Cincinnati's, Cincinnati's highly efficient in the red zone, which kind of surprised me. Looking at the stats, I am, and again, they're only stats through part of the season, so it may not be reflective of how good or bad a team actually is, but I was surprised how much Cincinnati has done well statistically. So I think that the Bengals can come in there. I'm taking Cincinnati plus six. I think they do enough well um, where they can make it tough on, on the Ravens. Yeah, I, I like um, I like Cincinnati in this game too. I'm not I don't like them enough to make the pick, um, and there's a couple of reasons why. Uh, what I've liked from Baltimore, um, and we saw it in the the game against Chargers, but um, this defense is more opportunistic than they've been in years past. Um, you know, Zach, your your preseason defensive rookie of the year pick in uh, Jason Owa. Um, or Adafe Oa, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I forgot the, about the name change thing. Um, but he's looked really good. That pass rush has um, started to get into that mold that we've talked about a lot with teams like Tampa Bay that they can start to bring in fresh bodies. They're bringing in more folks that are um, you know able to to rush the passer. When I look at the matchup um, between Baltimore's defense and Cincinnati's offense, I think. The more pressure that you can put on Joe Burrow, um, the 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 more mistakes he's going to make. Um, you know, we look back and oh wow, Cincinnati was really competitive with with Green Bay. But if you go back and watch Burrow's tape, um, while it looks good in a lot of different respects, he makes some bad decisions when he's under duress. And Baltimore is a team that's going to be able to put him under duress quite a bit. Um, so uh, while I think. Cincinnati is competitive in this game. I think they surprise themselves with how competitive they might be. And, and Zach, everything you mentioned about their defense being better, their defense being statistically um, effective, and them, you know, sort of having the passing the eye test and looking pretty legit here. Um, Lamar Jackson is a different animal. I've never seen a Cincinnati team stop Lamar Jackson in my lifetime um, or in his tenure in the NFL. So I just kind of look at this and I go, uh, this matchup just I I just don't think bodes well for Cincinnati, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go with Baltimore here. Okay. For me, this is this is a tough pick. Um, I like Cincinnati this year. I think that I, I think they're an up and coming team. Um, you know, they've been able to win the games that they should win, which is not something you could say for previous Cincinnati teams. You know, beating up on the Lions is exactly what they should do because they're a more talented team. Um, I think Cincinnati's defense is legit. I'm not going to, you know, go through the same points that, that you guys already made because I agree with them. Um, if if Cincinnati was at home, I would feel better about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just don't see I just don't see Baltimore um, losing. I, I, and I and I definitely I think I think Lamar Jackson has another good game. I think some of his receivers are coming into their own. Even the running game. Uh, seem to be you know firing on on all cylinders with like the all 2012 team and like Devonte Freeman <laughs> and uh, and 2012 might be a little aggressive but you get my point. Yeah. Um, but like Devonte Freeman, Latavius Murray, like they're they're they don't have a superstar running back 
Um, but they've got guys that can move the ball, uh, and they just bludgeon the Chargers, uh, which is a very, very good football team. Um, I, I, if this is at Cincinnati, the pick might be different because it's in Baltimore. Um, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna go with the Ravens here. Le'Veon Bell scored a touchdown yeah. last week. Unreal. So while it's not the all two, you know, 2012 team, it's probably the all 2016 team. <laughs> yeah, I team. think it's the 2016 yeah. team. Yeah, I think that's probably the best, uh, the best, um, the best comp, the best comp. Um, so yeah, two of us on Baltimore. Uh, Zach um, diverting from the consensus with Cincinnati. I mean, I, I'm. All, I said I opened up the show last week when we talked about the Bengals lines and just saying, hey, if this is if this Bengals team is a team that wants to be taken seriously, they have to go. Uh, they have to go beat Detroit by like double digits and they beat them by like 20 points. And it's like, that's a team that is a good team. And I think that, you know, the chargers were, you know, they didn't seem ready to play. And I think, you know, that, that secondary is still going to be an issue for the Ravens. They played great last week, but I think I, that's still an issue. And you're going to have to go up against T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Jamar chase. I think the Bengals can do it. And boy, will that be a shock too? Holy crap. If they, if yeah. they win. Yeah, and with regard to the Chargers, who you know we we probably won't talk about because they they don't have a game this week; they're on bye. But um, you know, kind of dovetail off of your point, I made a comment during last week, um, last week's episode that Chargers have run a gauntlet mm-hmm. to start the season, and there's a lot of big games. You, know, you look at the the close games against Dallas, close games against Cleveland. You know, go on down the list of who they've opened opened the season with. And at a certain, I think the terminology I use at a certain point, you get tuckered out. Mm-hmm. And that very well could have been part of the reason for um, such a dramatic Baltimore victory um, and the underperformance that um, Justin Herbert Herbert and Austin Eckler put on the field. Um, so I think their bye week is going to be pretty helpful. But if that matchup against Baltimore happened at a different stage of the season, it probably looked a little bit different. So there's there's maybe a degree of overreaction to like, wow, Baltimore must be this great team. I think Baltimore is a very good team. I think they'll still win the, the AFC North. Um, they're still, to me, clearly the best team in the AFC North. But I'm not ready to crown them quite yet. Uh, but I still think, you know, I'll stick with my pick um, of them over Cincinnati. One last thing about the Chargers. That makes sense, though, that that's how they played. A couple guys may have had their bags packed for – Cancun or Miami, they might have broke the huddle on Friday, saying one, two, three, Miami. You know, hey, you never know. Yeah. You know, sometimes people get distracted; they look ahead too much, and and you get smacked when you do that. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll move on to the next one. So um, I'm going to pass this one over to Bill to start. After I, you know, set up the matchup, we got Carolina uh, traveling to New York to play the New York Giants Carolina favored by 3 Bill thinks it's going to be Tommy Tremble season tell us yes. why yes <laughs> uh, so i think he's come close a couple uh, a couple uh, games in a row. I think, you know, if you watch them play, I think they're trying to get him involved in some of those. I mean, I think he even ran in a, a two point conversion or something a couple weeks back, but um, I, I think that they're going to change a little bit about the offense moving forward. I, I think Matt Roll has, has, you know, indicated a desire to run the football more. Obviously, that would have been more. Um, that would have been easier to do with Christian McCaffrey. I don't think Shuba Hubbard is a bad back, but um, you know, I, I think that this team maybe was a little bit overrated and I still love them, but uh, I think they were a little bit overrated because of the teams that they started off playing. 
Um, you know, they had a very easy early season schedule. And once they got into, you know, some of the upper crust teams in the league, um, they, they proved that they're just kind of not there yet. You know, Sam Darnold is still a work in progress. Um, even the receivers dropped some uncharacteristic balls. DJ Moore, um, you know, I mean, he had 13 targets, but he didn't really do a lot with them. Um, but I think that this particular game is a get right game because the giants are an absolute mess. And, you know, it's, it's kind of unfortunate because I, they almost kind of had it together uh, when they beat the saints a couple weeks back. Um, but and it, it was interesting, even in the, uh, the post game, Daniel, Daniel Jones said, our plan was to make uh, Kadarius Tony a basically the focal point of the offense in in the absence of uh, Saquon Barkley and, and some of the other pass catchers. Uh, Tony had like three catches for thirty six yards on the first drive, but then he hurt his ankle and and he basically admitted after the game like that was the whole game plan. Um, so I, I just don't think New York is capable of of putting up a fight against uh, Carolina just because. I just don't have any pieces left. Um, you know, Tony's going to be out. Barkley will continue to be out. Um, you know, and I feel bad for Daniel Jones because I think he, he does show some some flashes. But, I mean, he's just got to get guys healthy, man. Um, so Carolina, I think, is, is reliable at beating bad teams. I think they beat a bad team this week. Um, and uh, Tommy Tremble is going to catch a touchdown pass in this game for sure. I like it. Uh, I mean, from my perspective, I agree with a lot of what you said in terms of the injuries um, to the Giants and how it's going to keep them from winning this game or probably even being competitive because the Panthers still have statistically a very good defense, one that gets after the quarterback, one that hurries the quarterback. Um, it's the, the Giants will have issues this game. That you know, CMC has meant a lot. I think we just see how valuable he really is to this Carolina team because since he went down against the Texans, this offense. I know I feel like I say it every week, but it's so true. It, it's there's such a gigantic change in the effectiveness of this offense. And I, if I'm a Panthers fan, I am petrified about that interception Sam Darnold threw on the first play of the game. I mean, Darnold went 17 for 41 last game unbelievable unbelievably inefficient because that first on that first play this is something that you you believe him and Joe Brady have talked about hey first play of the game we're gonna do this you know look for look for DJ Moore down the field if he's not there do this if that's not there throw it away live the fight another day and I don't know if you guys saw that first play of the game with Darnold through interception he scrambled for like for like, I don't know, 13 seconds. And then he just tried to fit a ball in where he couldn't have, and it was an interception. And that, to me, happening on the first play of the game, that is New York Jets-level Sam Darnold. And I think they win this week, but that just shows me that there might be something, you know, it might be something wrong. Darnold might not be in the place mentally he needs to be in order to captain a, a very good team to deep in the playoffs. So that said, Carolina minus three. Yeah, I'm in agreement with a lot of what uh, you said, Zach, with your assessment of Darnold. Um, he does not process information very quickly. And that's just something that, you know, we I think we all kind of thought would get better under Matt Rule and Joe Brady's guidance. Um, and it just doesn't seem like it has. So I, I'm very concerned about his decision making. But then you'll you'll see, I mean, there's a throw he made to Ian Thomas in that game. Um 
that was a clutch throw. I think it was like a fourth, you know, third or fourth down, and the game was still pretty tight, or they were coming back. Um, that was an absolute laser beam. Like, I mean, it looked like Josh Allen threw the ball oh, wow. or Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it was an incredible throw. Um, you know, Thomas got behind two defenders, and it was a perfect ball. And so you see some of the arm talent, and you just like you really, you know, I, I would just love to see Sam put it all together against a good team, but his his slow processing is really holding him back. Um, and I think that's something that him and Joe Brady need to figure out as to how can we help him um, make quicker reads and get the ball out of his hand a little bit quicker. I think there's some options to spread the ball out a little bit more, uh, to call some of those shorter, quicker throws, simplify his reads. I think he's a Sam Darnold's a really good candidate for what I prescribed for Carson Wentz in the past few weeks, which we have seen Indianapolis do, but getting him more on the edge, leveraging some of those play action and bootleg style of plays with those simplistic reads. Um, that's the type of stuff that, that I think Carolina needs to do with Sam. Uh, we've seen how Carson Wentz's production has increased. Um, I think that's something that Sam Darnold could benefit from in terms of his style. Um, now with that being said, in terms of this matchup, I think the New York giants, um, seem like they're in a comparable situation to the Cleveland Browns. It it just feel, it feels like there's a tidal wave of, of issues here, whether it's injuries, just all these different challenges that this team is facing. Um, and you know, game plans that just seem kind of incomplete. Right, like I mentioned, I didn't like Stefanski's game plan going into Arizona, uh, to to sort of put the entire back of your game plan on a rookie slot receiver. Um, not a great idea, in my opinion. Probably should have a contingency plan. Um, so I think you know when I look at the coaches here, Matt Rule versus Joe Judge. Again, Joe Judge is a fine enough coach. Um, I think his players play hard for him. Um, but I think they're just the Giants are just going to be overmatched when it comes to injuries and and um, pitting Joe Judge uh, against a coach like Matt Rule. So uh, Carolina is my pick here. All on Carolina. All right. Um, so we're going to stay in the NFC South for our next matchup um, for at least one of the teams. So Atlanta Falcons. Um, are going to be taking on the Miami Dolphins, fresh off of handing Urban Meyer his first victory in London. Um, Atlanta favored by two and a half. I think that, um, sorry, I dropped my water cap there. I think this is a game the Falcons may win in double digits. Um, The Dolphins look like a team that's completely collapsed. Uh, Their defense is among the worst in every statistical category the thing that i thought was the most you know a perturbing thing if i'm a dolphins fan they're blitzing 32 percent of the time which is one of the highest rates in football they've have a hurry percentage on the uh the other quarterback the opposing quarterback 3.2 percent they uh of the time uh, they have 81 blitzes and just a very few hurries. They're not going to be able to get after Matt Ryan. This is a game where I could see Matt Ryan throwing for like 400 yards and maybe just like one or two touchdowns actually because they run it in or something like that. Um, 
they everything that sustained them last year has completely uh, forsaken them this year. Not getting turnovers, not getting you know special team scores. Uh, combine that with a, 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 a defense that is just you know Swiss cheese. You're not going to get positive results. And everyone's talking about how good Tua looked last week. Last week, I didn't. Th- I mean, he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't great either. There were still some throws that you could tell his ribs were probably still bothering him on. Um, there were still issues that I saw in Tua, but I'm just not seeing that reflective in like the 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 literature, the quote unquote literature around the NFL. It's like, oh, Tua looked good. He came back. I didn't see it. Um, I'm going Falcons uh, minus two and a half. Yeah, the assessment of Tua. Um having watched that game, he looked okay. Um, and his statistics looked pretty good when you factor in the two touchdowns, but both of those were sort of short dink and dunks to Jalen Waddle. Um, not a lot of skill required into some of those throws. Um, so, uh, and you still look at the interception that he threw along the sideline in a pretty critical moment of the game um, when Miami could have, you know, sustained that drive, maybe gone down and took control of that game. Um, threw just a really bad ball along the sideline where he was trying to fit it into um, the hole in the cover two between yep. along the sideline between the corner and the safety. Um, he's he just doesn't make those throws. He doesn't make them very well. Um, there was another opportunity that they had. I think they settled for a field goal. This was earlier in the game. They settled for a field goal on the drive. Um, or maybe they would have punted. I don't remember. But they didn't score a touchdown on the drive. And Tua, um, on a third down, could have easily run for, I think it was a third and yep. five. Yep, I remember that. And he ended up f- throwing a floater, um, maybe 10, 15 yards past his intended target, and the ball landed um, incomplete. It's just certain things like that that I don't know. Some of it could be attributed to first game back from injury jitters or, you know, some rust, um, especially when it comes to a rib injury. So, but his decision making is really where I struggle with too. I just don't think those are two examples where I just don't see the decision-making or the accuracy or the wherewithal, uh, the understanding of the situation when it comes to like, particularly the last example, like you you just get the first down. Right. Um, So there's a few things that I still don't like in his game, but I'm a hundred percent on Atlanta here as well. Miami looks like they're imploding. Um, And Tua coming back doesn't inspire any more confidence for me. Um, than what we saw from Jacoby Brissett. Because to be honest with you, if Tua had put on the performance that Jacoby Brissett did against Tampa Bay, he'd be getting the benefit of the doubt as well. But, oh, man, that was a really good performance. You know, It wasn't perfect, but it was it was still pretty good. Like Whether it's Jacoby, whether it's Tua, it doesn't matter. This team can't protect the passer. They can't run the football. They don't play good defense. And they're not getting, you know, a second time I'll use this term during the pod uh, today, but they're not getting the puck luck that they did last year with all these different turnovers. Yeah. I mean, they're not turning the ball over as frequently as they did. And you look at some of the games that they won last year. I mean, it was predicated on turnovers, pick six. I mean, they were like turning the, the ball over. Exactly. Exactly the same type of comparison. This defense does not look the same. I think you're right. This is a big Matt Ryan game. I think Cordero Patterson, Calvin Ridley, um, Kyle Pitts, I think they all have nice games. Um, And Atlanta's coming off of a bye week. So they've had two weeks to prepare for this Miami team. 
and I think uh, Arthur Smith is is a good enough coach that he's going to take advantage of that uh, um, of that opportunity. And this is the first time a, a team coming off a London game does not have a bye week. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough to compete with. Yeah, I was actually going to make a comment on that. Like, oh, how sorry. is that? How is that possible? Like, it, it, isn't that? I thought that was the rule: is is you get a bye week after you go to London. They're testing uh, it out. Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder, Bill. I should have shut up. My oh no, 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 no. I, I mean, I mean, in terms of 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 my pick, I think everything is set up for the the Falcons to to win, which is why I'm picking the Dolphins, um, because that's <laughs> just the way that Atlanta is. Um, the Dolphins are going to come off a short week. Um, nobody expects them to win, but they are at home, um, but they're not favored. Um, Atlanta's had two weeks to prepare, um, but honestly, there's just something about this Atlanta team that uh, y- you look, and I realize that they were without Calvin Ridley, but Cordero Patterson has been playing out of his mind, um, but he is literally their entire offense. I mean, yeah, the, the Kyle Pitts, I, I understand he had a couple you know, nice plays or whatever, but... Um, it's it's almost like it, the the only comp I I can think of is well I guess two, Derrick Henry or um, Michael Thomas from a couple of years ago where he was getting like twenty targets a game like that's how often they're using Cordero Patterson. Mm-hmm. Cordero Patterson is not that type of athlete that that's I I at least I don't think going to be able to handle handle that type of pounding because he's basically been in Atlanta's entire offense and for yeah listen I understand that they that they beat the Jets in London, but the jets are a very, very bad football team right now. Um, I, I think that Miami is going to get, um, I think Miami probably gets one of, um, Preston Williams or Devonte Parker back, hopefully both. Cause I think that'll really bolster them. And I think also that this is the, and, and I agree about all of the commentary that you guys made about the dolphins, defensively i still think they've got some good pieces in the secondary but but certainly they have not been able to get after the passer at all but um i think this might be the game where they are able and now their offensive line has been very poor but they're also facing atlanta falcons front that doesn't scare anybody um this i think is a game where they find an identity running the football a little bit um, and I, I just have a hunch that, that Miami is going to, uh, to, to win this game at home. Um, and I think Tua is going to perform very well. Atlanta's defense is still not very good. Um, and I think that they're going to be able to sustain some drives both through the air and on the ground. So give me Miami here. Hmm. I don't know what your guys' thoughts were, but with Tua, and again, this could be a product of the rib injury. So I'm not going to like, this isn't going to be my official opinion, but that did not look like an uh, NFL arm that Tua had. Like, they brought in Jacoby Brissett for that long pass, and then everything else was, like, there was no oomph behind that. And then when he did put some zip behind his balls, he had to mess up his mechanics and, like, crow hop to get it across 20 yards downfield. I mean, I, I would have to do that to get it, like, 15 yards down the field. I mean. I, but, yeah, but we're also not it's playing like Chad, in the NFL. It's like that Chad either, Pennington you know? arm, you know. Yeah, but we're not playing in the NFL either. I don't know. I, I That's what I thought. I was like, this does not look like an NFL arm right now. But, again, it could be the rib, you know, the flak jacket or his rib still hurting that, you know, forced him to take some of, it, some of them yeah. off. I just feel like yeah. the, the receivers that are coming back, I think, uh, is, is going to be a bigger deal than I, I think a lot of folks realize. Um, 
So I, I don't know. I and again, everything's set up for Atlanta, which is why I I'm I'm going Miami here. <laughs> That, I love it. Those some of those types of picks have worked out for us in the past. I mean, I look at some of my Bears and Justin Fields picks. Like, no, I'm making this pick with my heart. <laughs> you know, and it's worked out. So you never know. Um, but moving on to our next game, we got the uh, the uh, an AFC East rivalry um, that seems to have lost its luster um, with the condition of the two teams, um, the New York Jets and the New England Patriots. New England favored by seven, coming off of. Just kind of a heartbreaking loss. Um, really competitive game against the uh, the Dallas Cowboys, and I think the Jets are coming off of a bye. Um, so, you know, positive week for the Jets. You didn't lose. Um, <laughs> so, sorry that was that was an unnecessary jibe. Um, but uh, but yeah, New England favored by seven at home. Um, I'll just kind of kick us off here. I mean, thinking about what happened in their previous matchup where, I mean, my goodness, I think Zach Wilson got negative 11 fantasy points, <laughs> depending on your scoring. Um, a lot of sacks, a lot of interceptions. Bill Belichick against a rookie quarterback. Um, I, this doesn't bode well for, for the Jets for me. I don't think it's going to be as ugly as it was in the past, and I know that Zach Wilson has progressed, um, but... I'm liking what I'm seeing from New England's defense. I mean, this is a very sturdy unit. Um, They play good, sound, fundamental football. Matthew Judon uh, gets pressure on the passer. They're able to be creative in rushing the passer. Um, I just don't think the Jets have a lot of ammunition here. Um, And I still think Bill Belichick is going to find ways to confuse Zach Wilson, uh, who I still think, you know, despite... I continue to mention this for any of our Jets listeners. Be patient. This kid's got a lot of talent. He needs a little bit of coaching. He's been thrown right into the fire, but he still relies far too much on his arm talent and less on his decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, and until that changes, I'm not going to pick the Jets, especially against Bill Belichick in New England. So I'm on. I'm on the Patriots here. I think you nailed it, Matt. Um, I'm with Pats minus seven too. I mean, they might rule out that same game plan they did it was because it was so effective the first time around. The only thing I'll add to this matchup is my a lot of my short term opinion on Zach Wilson will be made up in this game um, because he's come up. You know, he he has had two weeks to sit down with Robert Sala to sit down with uh, Mike Lafleur. And look at what happened the first time around with the Patriots. See what mistakes he made, how he can avoid them. And, you know, I'm expecting a big difference in him. They, they're they not going to win, but I expect a big difference. Now, if he comes out and does and makes the same mistakes he did the first time when they played the Patriots, I mean, that's going to put me one leg out the door on, uh, on Wilson, at least for this season. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of my short-term opinion is going to be made up in this game of, of what I think of uh, Zach Wilson. I agree with with basically everything that you guys are saying. Um, I, I just don't see how New York wins this game. Um, although it, it could be a slower start for New England, just based on the the two really emotional losses that they've had over the last two weeks. Um, but I, I also will will go out of limb and and predict a touchdown for Jacoby Myers, his first ever. <laughs> he was robbed of that last week in that game, and I think Belichick for for all of his his rep, they're going to find a way to get Jacoby Myers a touchdown. Uh, so you heard it here first, folks. Jacoby Myers touchdown. Did he get tackled at the one or something? No, it was called back on a penalty. Oh, they, okay. it was a, I think it was like a holding call or something. 
Um, but they were all, like he was you like you could see him like oh I'm, let me keep the ball I'm gonna make sure I get it to the to to the uh, to the equipment guy or whatever because it was my first touchdown. Oh, brutal. <laughs> and then and then they make the call and he's still like running with the ball. He's like, can I still keep it? <laughs> Just felt for him, man. I'll tell you what, it is interesting when you look at that the New England receivers core. Um, you know, Nelson Aguilar, big free agent acquisition, kind of underperforming this year in comparison to what he did in, in Vegas last year. Uh, Kendrick Bourne had a, a big play, uh, but another fairly expensive uh, free agent acquisition. Uh, but he's sort of been a bit middling um but the guy who's the most trustworthy receiver is jacoby myers um for that new england team he's the most sure-handed he's the one that i think they go to in the most dire of situations um and uh but but what i will say another another piece in, in of observation after watching that game that kendrick Bourne touchdown should have been picked uh, Mac Jones had no business throwing that ball. Um, it reminded me of sort of when, when Zach and I used to have our debates over the, the Mac Jones, you know, what he's going to look like as a pro. And I think Zach has been more right than I have been. Um, but some of the things that I called out about the way he just like straight up panics under pressure, <laughs> that throw to Kendrick Bourne should never have resulted in a what 50 60 yard touchdown that should have been a pick um but mac has still looked very good um especially for a rookie so i think the future is bright for him as well well you know who he uh, who kendrick burn born burnt on that play it's everyone's favorite um favorite uh player uh trayvon diggs trayvon diggs he makes the big plays but that's the thing about some of these defensive backs like they they make the big splash plays but sometimes they're not you know People have a tendency to ignore when they have a busted coverage or something like that. Um, but to be honest, I mean, Diggs probably should have been in a position to make the play. It just didn't seem to materialize because um, Mac just made a bad throw. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so we're all on New England, all in agreement. Um, we'll move on to our next matchup. We have Philadelphia coming off of the Thursday night loss uh, where they were surprisingly competitive. Um, I think maybe a little bit of that was just the Buccaneers got sleepy towards the fourth quarter of a late night game. Um, they were looking forward to the following week. Um, and Vegas, who um, in the face of adversity, in the face of what was a wild week, um, Really dominant performance over the Denver Broncos. Uh, Vegas only favored by three here. Um, what are you guys thinking about that? I will. I'll start, and I will say that I think this this game is more evenly matched than what just by glancing at it you would think. Raiders statistically have one of the worst run defenses um, in um, in football, and I know the Eagles aren't running traditionally with, you know, Miles Sanders or, or Kenneth Gant or really anybody, but they are using Jalen Hurts to get outside uh, of the pocket and make some plays with his legs, and if there's a team, and it's been such a, you know, everyone on Phil- in Philadelphia has harped on it, harped on it, harped on it, harped on it about there's no run, there's no run game, there's no run game. If there's ever a game where they, they focus on that and is a time to focus on that is here against this Raiders run D. Um, you know, the, the Raiders do have an elite passing offense, which does scare me, but I just think that this is evenly matched. And I think that Jalen Hurts can make a couple plays to, to, um, 
to keep this game close. Uh, and again, we've talked a lot about it. We talk a lot about like emotions of, you know, on this pod of players and things like that. And I think that that's helpful in terms of insight. This could be another one of those games where the Raiders, you know, having spent all week just, you know, in the shit for lack of a better term, you know, came out, played a great game against Denver. And this might be a little bit of a letdown spot. Um, so I'm taking Eagles plus three. Yeah, I um, I'm gonna take Vegas here, and I'm gonna use some similar logic um, as to my justification for Vegas as to what your justification for Philly was. Um, the there was a renewed commitment to the run game um, in what I saw against Denver from Vegas. So uh, Kenyon Drake getting involved in a much bigger way. Um, Josh Jacobs. Um, you know, being very productive. I think both backs scored touchdowns. Um, I may be wrong there, but I know at least Drake did. Um, they got Drake far more involved in the passing game than he had been in, the, in uh, under the previous regime, quote-unquote. Um, I liked a lot of what I saw from Vegas. Um, and, you know, one thing that we've harped on, Philadelphia cannot stop the run this year. They just um, go back to the power rankings, go back to you know some of the prescriptive things that I gave there. This team cannot defend the run. Um, and a lot of that has to do with their lack of commitment to the run on the offensive side of the football. Because there's a lot of three and outs here. Um, that Philly goes through because they mm-hmm. they try a you know Jalen Hurts RPO, uh, then they roll them out and the play calling for Philadelphia's offense is just really really poor, um, and there's a lot of three and outs and that defense constantly on the field and Fletcher Cox is older and Derek Barnett was always kind of a pass rusher not so much of a, a stalwart against the run. They just don't have the depth. You know, a guy like J- uh, Javon Hargrave, who was really great at stuffing the run in Pittsburgh, but he was a two-down guy. He's not a three-down guy. And so those big guys that are supposed to be run stuffers, I mean, they tucker out real quick. And so I kind of look at Philadelphia, and I'm like, you have not fixed this problem. You've got a team coming in in Vegas that has a commitment to the run um, and two really good backs that can tote the rock um, or get the ball out of the backfield. I think big games from both Josh Jacobs um, and from Kenyon Drake. And I, I I just don't think Philly can stop the run here, and that makes Vegas very, very dangerous to them. Hmm. I'm actually going to go with Matt here uh, and, and, and Vegas. Um, I think that there's there's two ways a team can go after something like this uh you know the incident that happened with with gruden um i think you know and even after they win i think there's two ways that they can go one is they get that big win and it's emotional whatever and then they kind of take a step back um this team i think gets hot um you know they they did a, a lot of damage to a very good Denver defense uh, last week. And I feel like that renewed commitment to the run is really going to open things up. Um, even for Derek Carr. Yeah. He may not be throwing the ball, you know, 50 times a game. Um, but I think that that's going to open up more play action passing. I feel like um, Gruden always kind of kept Derek Carr at sort of an arm's length. I mean, he was always sort of, you know, casually flirting with, you know, that next best mm-hmm. quarterback or, or whatever the case may be. And I think that, uh, and I, I, Derek, Derek is too 
class act of a guy to admit it, but I'm, I'm sure that it's, it's almost a relief, uh, to, to him to, to sort of be rid of, of, of that. Cause I don't think that relationship was all that great to be honest. Um, and I think that this is now Derek Carr's team. Um, and I think that they're, they're really building something. They've got some really good weapons. Henry Ruggs, for as much as you know, maligned as he was last year, has really sort of become the deep threat that they were hoping that he would be. Uh, Hunter Renfro has been a solid producer. Darren Waller uh, continues to be that way. But the thing is, now Darren Waller doesn't need to get 19 targets a game. You know, um, but the targets that he's getting are going to be quality targets, you know, play actions, things like that. So um, I think this this balanced uh, Raiders team is is good. I think the pass rush is great um, for as good, you know, as, as Philly has been. Um, I still I'm not sold on on Jalen Hurts as a passer. I think a couple weeks back when he had uh, the game against Carolina, I think he was averaging like, you know, two and a half yards, a, a completion or something ridiculous. Um, so I, I think that the uh, Raiders pass rush is going to be able to, to get to Hertz a little bit. Um, I, I like Vegas here. I think it's a really, um, a really good point that you make bill about maybe the absence of, of John Gruden being addition by subtraction. Um, and there could be, you know, we're, none of us are in that locker room, but there could be some toxicity there um, that once alleviated really allows this team to flourish. You know, Zach made a comment in last week's episode. Uh, we were talking about how I think it was Simeon Rice had come out after the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yeah. um, 2002 Super Bowl and, you know, you know, had some disparaging comments toward John, Gru- John Gruden and no one really came to, to Gruden's defense from the Tampa Bay organization. Um, so it kind of gives you an example of, you know, maybe John Gruden's players really didn't like him. Maybe they didn't like playing for him. Um, I don't know if any of them would, would admit that openly. Um, but I think that's a really good point that maybe you remove the, the sort of dark cloud, um, over the organization. Then all of a sudden it's like, man, you know, Derek Carr's a little more comfortable, he feels like he's in a more comfortable environment. He's not so afraid to make a mistake uh, for fear of the wrath of John Gruden. Instead, he's just being out there and he's playing football and he, he played really well against a very good Denver defense. So, um, you know, I'm excited about Derek Carr. I think he's been limited um, over the past couple of years and I, I hope to see him realize his full potential. This is absolutely a game that I could regret uh, picking, like very much. I'm fully aware of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're we'll we'll find out. Uh, two two on one here. Two on Vegas. Lucas Lucas Brothers on Vegas and uh, uh, Zach on Philadelphia. But uh, you never know. Philadelphia can actually commit to the run, but I just don't think they will. Um, so, with that being said, we'll move on to our next game, which is a revenge game um, for really both quarterbacks. We have Jared Goff uh, in Detroit and Matt Stafford in LA, two teams that, uh, execute a blockbuster trade that sent Matt Stafford, um, from Detroit to LA and Jared Goff going the other direction. Um, one has, uh, had, you know, almost an MVP caliber season. Uh, if you think MVPs can only be quarterbacks and you don't want to put Derrick Henry into that equation. Um, and Detroit, um, Dan Campbell delivering 
uh, a shot across Jared Goff's bow, um, saying that he needs to step up uh, in order to keep his job. Um, I don't know if it was those were specifically the stakes, but he did call out his quarterback um, after last week's really pathetic performance, or really two pathetic performances in a row against Minnesota and Cincinnati, respectively, uh, from Jared Goff. So um, it, I, I won't you know belabor the point too much here. I think this is you know L.A. Rams by a mile um, or two or three, you know, or hundred doesn't matter. Um, but I got the Rams here. What do you guys got? Oh, Rams favorite Rams. Rams Rams favored by fifteen. By the way, yeah, I, I I don't care. It could be twenty. Give me the Rams. I mean, it, it, Detroit. Dan Campbell is is still the right man for this rebuild. Um, I think they're they will eventually win a, a game or two. I think they blew a couple good good opportunities to do so in recent weeks. Um, but I mean, they're. I mean, they're just so limited as a team. I mean, yeah, you can throw the, you know, dump off to DeAndre Swift and, you know, Jamal Williams like runs hard, but I mean, so what? I mean, <laughs> um, I just think that Matt Stafford is going to come into this game. That dude is going to throw like five touchdowns. Um, they are just going to blow the doors off the Lions, uh, especially at home. Um, yeah, this is an easy, uh, this is an easy Rams win for me. Matt Stafford may want to blow the doors off the lines, but I think Sean McVay will want to do it even more just to, you know, stick it to, to McVay. I'm taking the rant. This is against, you know, my role. In fact, I'm going to have a couple selections against my, you know, plus double digit, uh, points rules when it comes to gambling, but Rams minus 15. I will say this about the lines, Dan Campbell, Matt, you and I talked about last week. We were we kind of thought the crying was weird after, you know, we were okay with it, but we still thought it was maybe like a little odd after mm-hmm. their, their loss. He's got to be careful about this. Um, this emotional kind of roller coaster that he's going through right now where, you know, one week it's, I'm crying cause these guys give such great effort. The next week I'm publicly calling out my quarterback, um, in a post game news conference. I understand if you're frustrated with him, you got to do that. You know, I would say at first, at least um, internally, you might lose some guys going through that. I'm a big proponent of uh, leaders being emotionally stable, and he's not giving me that vibe right now. Uh, he, I feel like he's lost, they've lost a lot of games. He's starting to panic, and I don't think that's a good look. Um, you know, okay, well, that didn't work, so now i got to call out Jared Goff. And I think we can all agree Jared Goff sucks, always has, always will. But I just don't know if that was the best way to do it. Um, I, yeah, I, I would has I would be I would tell Dan to kind of slow his rule a little bit on the public proclamations and show of emotion uh, after these wins and losses. There's another point I was going to say uh, about about Dan, but um, but yeah, I would just maybe slow slow down and take a deep breath before you say something like that publicly again. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I don't think that was handled the right way. Um, listen, at the end of the day, Jared Goff is going to be your starter. I mean, if you really want to go with I think David Blau, I think that's how you say his last name, um, is the backup quarterback there. Um, David Blau is not going to give you any better chance than Jared Goff is. Now, we, we have an understanding that it is highly likely that Detroit's going to draft a quarterback, but going into this 2022 draft, 
a lot of these top tier quarterbacks that we were expected, you know, Spencer Rattler is going to be the number one pick. The kid from USC is going to be a number one pick. These guys have disappointed thus far. Um, and if Detroit is in, you know, the first overall pick, second overall pick, there's a defensive end from Oregon that I think might be a better fit. And yeah. if, you know, you, you got to be careful here because the other factor of this is you want your quarterback to succeed. You want, you should want Jared Goff to succeed either from the standpoint of we're going to keep him or we can get some sort of trade value back for him after we draft our next franchise quarterback. Um, so I think there's a little bit that needs to be considered when Dan Campbell's making these comments about sort of the longevity and the long game. Um, that he needs to play with regard to his quarterback situation because it's not a sure thing that there's going to be. I mean, Sam Howell's the only quarterback I think that's particularly rated highly um, that has sort of maintained his draft stock over the course of this early college football season. Uh, Not a lot of guys have emerged into the top tier of that discussion. So this is not going to be a good year for quarterbacks uh, like it was this past season. So I think Dan Campbell's got to be careful from that standpoint. Um, and the other thing, you know, you mentioned sort of the emotional component to this. The coaches that handle adversity the best um, are Bill Belichick. We're on to Cincinnati. Yep. Mike Tomlin, the standard is the standard. There's a reason that these coaches speak like this because it, it provides a degree of stability to the organization and to the locker room. And those conversations that need to be had, those difficult conversations are had in private. Uh, Coaches that we look back on that call their players out in the media don't often last that long. Um, So it's one of those situations where I think Campbell needs to, again, this is a first time head coach, something that, you know, isn't, isn't the kiss of death, but he needs to learn to manage this a little bit differently and start to look at guys like Tomlin, like Belichick, like some of those folks, um, John Harbaugh, you know, how they manage some of these situations. I mean, look at Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, calling players out and look at the type of season they're having. That's just, you know, it, it goes a lot for, for the health of the locker room. The one thing I remembered that I wanted to say, um, and I thought you hit the nail on the head, Matt, was you know he goes from one week to saying, oh, they, they, you know, I'm so proud of these guys, the effort they gave. I feel so bad for them to calling out their effort. That that's on the the head coach. You know, if your guys aren't ready to play, and and it goes from that in a week's time, that is on the coaching staff. If there's a position group maybe that isn't. Um, that that isn't performing, you know, maybe that's one thing. But when it's an entire team that goes out and gets beat by 20 points, that's a team want that's on Dan Campbell. And calling an individual or just a couple players out uh, is not going to get you anywhere. Into your into the draft, upcoming draft, I get very heavy 2006 vibes from this draft class. Like the time Houston took Mario Williams and everyone said, oh, how can you pass on Vince Young or Matt Leinart or Jay Cutler? Um, and Mario Williams ended up having a, a pretty good uh, pretty good career. Uh, but I feel like that could be this vibe of the draft class coming up. Mm-hmm. Reggie yeah, Bush was the other guy. Yeah. That's the, yeah. That, I was like, oh my God, how could you pass on Reggie Bush? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Reggie. Although, not, and, and I'm not a, an expert on college football, nor is this a college football podcast, but there are a couple guys that um, maybe will creep up by the end of the season. I'm looking at uh, Matt Coral uh, at Old Miss, has been playing very well. Um, Malik Willis uh, from Liberty um, has as well. Um, Sam Howell, I, I don't really know. I mean, that's it's been kind of 
hit or miss there. Um, oh my God, even even Pitt has a decent quarterback, although he's like <laughs> he's like a fifth year senior. Uh, Kenny Pickett, but I, I, I there's always that one guy that shows like just you know randomly shows up. Like even think about Josh Allen a couple couple years ago, right? Yeah. Um. So you know, but but you obviously to to Matt's point, you can't count on that. I mean, you you got to play with the guys that you have. Um, although I will, I, I think that it was by design that this team was made up that way for the express purpose of drafting that next quarterback. But when you do that, you're, you're taking a risk that, that the coach might lose his team, um, you know, before they can get to that turnaround. Um, and then you basically have a, have a coach that you really like, but this is basically going to be a place placeholder. Uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting to to see what happens. I I do think they'll end up winning a game, um, but you need to you need to at least be able to show up. I mean, Cincinnati is 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 not you know Tampa Bay. They're not you know they're not somebody that's just going to blow the doors off you. Um, and for them to just get have you know come out that flat, it's tough. That's that's tough to see as a as a as a coach. And I'm I'm sure as a Lions fan, even though you're probably used to it, yeah. <laughs> And, and and this will be my last comment so we don't spend 35 minutes talking about the Detroit Lions of all teams. Um, but before you go throwing Jared Goff on the trash heap, let's remember that they've got Amon Ross St. Brown, a rookie wide receiver. Um, Quintez Sivas, who was their most, um, I guess, productive wide receiver, is on IR. Uh, Tyrell Williams, who was their big, big quote-unquote, free agent acquisition on IR. Um, their best receiver at the moment is is um, Kenneth Raymond or something. Khalif, Keith Raymond. Khalif, I Khalif. Khalif. I have no idea. Like, that's what we're dealing with here. Um, so, I mean, it's not like he's surrounded with top-tier talent. Um, so it's hard to really evaluate uh, any quarterback, whether it's Jared Goff or anybody else. Um, so I would be, uh, if I were Dan Campbell, a little more cautious about throwing this guy on the trash heap when it's like, are any of my receivers winning one-on-one? Is TJ Hawkinson really winning one-on-one? They're not doing it. Um, so there's there's more problems than just the quarterback um, in Detroit. And I swear this will be the last thing I say about the lines. I know we want to get off them, but you're right about looking at our players beating their one-on-one coverage. When you come out and say that right after the game about Jared Goff, you know, most coaches in that scenario say, you know, I got to watch the tape. Haven't watched the tape yet. Got to see what happened. You know, I'm not really sure about that. I have to watch the tape. I have to watch the tape. Coming out in the press conference and just throwing Jared Goff under the bus like that, one, it's a bad precedent to other players in the team. But it, you're you also don't know you, you haven't watched the tape you don't know about you know are your you know are your backs missing blocks are your receivers not separating and maybe in private if you don't you would hold back maybe a little bit of that criticism because you're like well Goff doesn't have much to work with so just ill advised that's the last thing I'll say I promise I'm done. Very well, very well. well we, we, will, we will move on from our Detroit Lions talk after we made our picks 15 minutes ago that it was going to be the Rams and Detroit wasn't even going to win the game. Um, so anyway, anyway, uh, so I hope our Detroit Lions listeners enjoyed that. Um, we do have a couple. We have a couple. We had a couple. Yep, yep. Um, next group of games, uh, or next uh, couple teams we have to evaluate here uh chicago bears fresh off of a loss where aaron Rodgers owned them quote unquote um (laughs) in chicago uh probably for the last time in chicago for him um and then the tampa bay buccaneers uh who 
beat Philadelphia on Thursday night. Tampa Bay favored by 12 and a half. Uh, this is the rematch of the infamous Tom Brady fourth down game oh, right. uh, from last year. So uh, real quick, though, uh, regarding Aaron Rodgers, do the Steelers play Chicago next year in Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> Call the know? shot. You heard it here first. <laughs> Call the shot. Oh, I couldn't resist. There I couldn't resist. I wanted to have it so bad. Instance. Yeah, there's I, a non-zero I, chance, Bill. I want Actually, it so they, bad. The I don't think the the Steelers play the NFC North this year, so they will not mm. be playing them next year. So if Rogers Rogers would have to stay for I think four years before they would be playing uh, Chicago again. I think Bill would be okay with that. Yeah, that's fine. Oh. <laughs> I'll go with I'm, it. I'm cool with that. Uh, either way, onto onto the pick. Um, this is a fairly large spread, um, uh, but but you know, I, you know what? I'm going to go with Chicago here. Um, the the one guy that really stuck out to me, e- even in a even a loss, uh, was the um, was Khalil Herbert. Uh, for the Bears, I, I thought he ran extremely well. He looks like a feature back. I mean, he's built like one. Mm-hmm. I was very impressed there. Obviously, Tampa is very good at stopping the run, um, but I think that this Tampa's going to win this game. I I have no doubt. Um, but I feel like Herbert between Herbert um, and the fact that Justin Fields has played better-ish in spots, although he still far too often tries to make the big play happen when the big play is not there. And, you know, it's it's very impressive to see him heave the ball, you know, 70 yards down the field through the back of the end zone. But, like, <laughs> it doesn't really move the needle on the scoreboard. But um, I, I think that the Bears have enough uh, defensively to at least slow Tampa down. Um, I think Tampa wins this game by 10. Um, I, I, but I, I do like Khalil Herbert to have a decent day. Allen Robinson to have a decent day. Maybe Justin Fields connects on one of those deep bombs as long as he can keep it in the field of play. Um, but I, I give me, give me Chicago, uh, plus 12 and a half here. This pains me because I'm breaking one of my rules here and I'm going bucks minus 12 and a half. This is the type of game where the bucks bludgeon their opponents. This is very similar to the Miami game earlier this year. Very similar, I believe, to the Lions game last year, where the Bucks start. When the Bucks start, and they just don't stop. It is an offensive show, and I don't think that the Bears have the firepower to keep up with them. I think this could be like a seventeen-point win. Um, yeah, some Bucks minus twelve and a half. I'm I'm going to be on the Bucks here as well. Um, you know, I, there's a couple of things. There's a couple points that I'll, I'll outline here with regards to this particular matchup. Um, I, do, I, I don't think Khalil Herbert has a great day. Um, you know, the Tampa Bay defense gave up some yardage to Miles Sanders uh, towards the back half of that, um, or really the last quarter of that game against Philadelphia. Um, I don't think that's something that's going to be repeatable, um, basically because it seemed to me like Tampa Bay just kind of divested themselves of the game. They were up so much mm-hmm. um, that it, you know, the talent is still there. I think they just kind of got sleepy, for lack of a better term, uh, towards the back half of that game. So I don't think there's anything that Philadelphia uncovered about Tampa Bay, about any weaknesses in their run defense. Um, Khalil Herbert did look good. Uh, Bill's very right in his assessment. Um, and it is, I'll take just a brief moment to say there's a lot of rookies 
that we called out during mm. our draft prep episodes and all of those different things that have really come to fruition. There's a lot of guys that we were very high on. Um, talking about Eric Stokes, Asante Samuel Jr., uh, Aziz Ajilari, um, Khalil Herbert was one that we had talked about, uh, Chuba Hubbard, Tommy Tremble, um, just naming some of these like uh, ancillary players. Yeah. You know, We talked about Zayvon Collins, who's made a big impact on that Arizona front. Uh, Adafi Owe, who Zach called out, making a big impact on um, Baltimore's uh, front uh, front seven. So, um, just like want to call out, we're we've had a lot of really nice ones um, for for this group. So, just some commendations on uh, like really that. both of you guys calling out some really really good uh, young rookies. Um, yeah, I won't give myself too many kudos, but there were a couple that I called out. See, as well. You're there too, brother. You're there too. We're, but, we're all in this together, you know. But yeah, like in like in the evaluation processes that we've been going through. Um, but yeah, with this one, I just don't. You know, Khalil Herbert's a really good back, and I I just don't think he's going to have the ability to move around. I think the back, if he's healthy, who's going to be more impactful in the pass game for the Bears is going to be Damian Williams because he is that passing mm-hmm. down back, uh, especially if Tampa Bay gets up early and they're playing from behind. Um, because he is someone that I pay so much attention to a uh, little bit of an evaluation of Justin Fields uh, had an opportunity to really watch him against Green Bay. The athleticism I still love. There's some things I saw in terms of accuracy, arm strength, all good things. He had a really nice, very efficient drive where they went down and scored uh, his touchdown to uh, Darnell Mooney. But there was one play that just sticks out to me. I, I It was in the third quarter. And Justin Fields drops back on a play action pass. And it was a deep, it was a uh, basically a deep post paired with a deep dig route. And um, that was uh, sort of the play. Fields ended up chucking the ball deep. I think he threw it out of the end zone, the back of the end zone. It wasn't even close. Well, in that on that particular play, Khalil Herbert just just swing pass out of the backfield. Herbert was standing by himself. Oh. It was like a third and a third and fifteen or something like that. There would have been penalty or second and fifteen penalty before on on first down, and all he had to do was dump the ball off. And Herbert's going for at least twelve yards. Uh, it's those kind of plays that that Justin Fields just isn't hitting, where you do have someone coming out into the flat and they're wide open. Um, there's a couple other plays that I'll talk about and and. This is a schematic change that Matt Nagy needs to make. I know we have a lot of Bears fans, so call into your radio shows. I'm sure Matt Nagy's going to be listening. But Chicago's throwing a lot of deep routes, and their offensive line isn't really good. Um, so a lot of times the scheme looks like they're working. And when you look at it, you go, oh, man, Justin Fields missed it. But he's under so much pressure and so much duress that you know he would see that play had he gotten enough protection. But Matt Nagy's calling like 15, 17-yard routes that take three or four seconds to develop. Hmm. And Justin Fields just doesn't have that time. So I think Matt Nagy in this game, what I'd like to see in terms of Justin Fields' development is let's get the ball out of his hand a little bit quicker. Let's call some shorter routes. Let's simplify some of the reads for him. Um and before we go into every route needs to be a 17 to 20 yard route, let's 
dink and dunk this defense just a little bit to get those safeties, draw them up, and then you can try start and hit people over the top. Um, there's just some things that when you look at the way Chicago's running their offense aren't conducive to Justin Fields being successful, but the raw skills are still there, and I'm still very high on him, but Matt Nagy is continuing to not come to these games with good offensive game plans, Um, but I'd like to look for some of those adjustments in this game against Tampa Bay that does have a weak secondary um, that Chicago can take advantage of. But again, I don't trust Matt Nagy, so I'm going to go with Tampa Bay. I love your Bears analysis, Matt. It's always so good. It's the most in-depth Bears analysis, the, this side of Chicago. Like, nobody else outside of Chicago talks Bears football like Matt. I, and it's funny because, well, I don't know. I'm a big fan of Justin Fields. I very much like him. I think he's going to be a top, you know, top-notch quarterback here in the next couple of years or so. But I feel like it's different this, you know, having this year with all the draft prep that we did and yeah. all those things. Like, it's like it's kind of like how Zach feels watching Mac Jones. Like, for whatever reason, you gravitate towards a player, you believe in a player, and you're like, you watch them just a little bit differently, and you analyze things at a little bit more of a granular level. Um, and it's kind of fascinating to watch just some of the incompetencies of uh of the franchises that some of these talented young players have uh, ended up with so kind of like me and tommy tremble and ricky seals jones <laughs> yeah yes. we're getting that and, yeah, and Juwan johnson why are mine all tight heads <laughs> i don't know dude. you know tight ends but it's a weird thing but, hey. <laughs> so oh, that's great so we did a diatribe on the lions i did a diatribe on the bears too just not overly exciting franchises <laughs> But whatever, I guess that's what we're talking about today. Um, we'll move on from uh, from those last two picks to another just exhilarating franchise in the Houston Texans. Um, so Houston, uh, fresh off of yet another loss, um, traveling to Arizona to play uh, the Cardinals, who are still undefeated um, after a pretty dominant win over the Cleveland Browns, Arizona favored by 17 and a half friends. What do we do with this monster of a spread? So listen, I'll, I'll make this one quick. Um, I, I really hope chase Edmond scores on the first drive. Cause he's probably going to get like four snaps in this game. <laughs> James Conner is going to get like 37 carries or something ridiculous. Cause they'll, they'll be up by 20 by halftime. Um, yeah. I mean, Arizona is going to bludgeon Houston. I mean, I don't, I just, there's nothing else. There's there's just not enough talent on 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 this Houston team right now. I, I mean, I would love to see the way that this team plays when Tyrod Taylor um, comes back. Um, but right now, I mean, they've got a couple running backs that are meh, and I mean, they've got they've got Brandon Cooks. Like, hey, let's let's go, Brandon. Like, but that's that's really about it. Like, I don't I don't see a lot of other. I don't see a lot of other reasons for optimism here. Like I just, it, it just, but, but I think now that being said, I think there's hope for any Houston fans that listen, because when Tyrod Taylor comes back, um, I think the schedule loosens up a little bit. Um, cause they've played a murderer's row, um, of, of teams, honestly. And, uh, I think they're going to end up with a couple, couple more wins. I think David Cully is doing the best job of bad team coaching, 
Um, and I think Dan Campbell could sort of take a, a, a lesson from, from David Culley because those guys are still playing for, for David Culley. Um, but Arizona is just way too good. I mean, Davis Mills is going to have, you know, three or four turnovers. Um, I mean, it, Arizona is just too much. Um, this, I think, right now is the best in the league. So, uh, yeah, I don't care if the spread's 20. Give me Arizona. I'm with you, Bill. Um, this, again, this is breaking my rule, but this is the Texans' offense since Tyrod got hurt. They put up point totals of 9-0, and 3. I don't know if they score 10 points this game. This is, the, this is like the cartoons, um, the old, like um, – um, Looney Tunes, where the there's a character standing still, and then there's another character running all around, cloud of dust. You can't see what they do, but the but the one you're looking at doesn't move at all. That's how I feel like this game's gonna be with the speed on Arizona's offense and defense. You know, they're gonna score a touchdown. Texans are gonna be like, what the hell just happened? So yeah, I think I think they win by 20, 25 points. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna belabor the point here and talking about this game too much. Um, the underrated factor here is uh, Tyrod Taylor doesn't look like he's going to be coming back yet. I think maybe if he were back, this game might look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, but Arizona is um, getting turnovers; they're manufacturing them on defense um, in a rate that you know we really haven't seen uh, from this defense in the past. So I know there were some concerns coming into the um, coming into the season about their secondary that have been pretty much quashed. I mean, they're, they're doing a really, really nice job with the exception of that one guy that got run over by Donovan peoples Jones um, last week. But, um, but no, I think this Arizona defense is going to be the difference. I think there's a few turnovers that they're going to make uh, Davis mills. Uh, they'll bait him into a couple of bad decisions. Um, I don't think Houston's going to be able to put up enough points uh, to even stay within, within 17 here. Cool. All right. All of us on Arizona. Um, yep. We'll move to the Sunday night match matchup. Um, Indianapolis um, going to San Francisco coming off of their bye. Uh, San Francisco favored by three and a half here. You know, Shanahan after a bye week worries me. I, that makes me pause in my selection um, because you give someone who's that good at game planning that much time and you think that they can probably come up with a scheme to stop them. However, the 49ers have been left with just a hodgepodge of like good pieces that aren't fits. And I think that's largely a making of Kyle Shanahan. And like Bill mentioned earlier, the treatment of his players in the off season. Um, I don't think anyone knows their role other than Debo Samuel. Anyone has any idea what they're used for, when they're going to be used. I think the pressure to perform in this offense is at an all-time high, and it seems like it's crippling them. Um, and that's not even counting the quarterbacks, Garoppolo or Lance. Um, so that, that I think, is the most concerning thing. And they can't move the ball. They have no offense. This Shanahan attack that's been predicated on you know, um, you know, know, a great running team, um, supplemented by timely big plays in the pass game. It's just not there. And the Colts have come in with one of the best run defenses. So the one strength that the 49ers typically have, the Colts can take that away. Makes me nervous taking Carson Wentz on the road. It absolutely does. But if they can, you know, limit him and his and his tendency to just kind of lose his shit and turn the ball over, which they have in recent weeks... Um, I think that they can come out with a win. So I'm taking Indy plus three and a half. Mm. Yeah, I, this is a really tough game for me mm-hmm. to pick because as much as I, 
as much as I'm excited about the the Colts and and how you know Wentz has, has played pretty decently, um, you know, and Jonathan Taylor's played well. Uh, yeah, I'm actually talking myself into it. Um, I, I I I give me the Colts here. Um, right. The the reason I say that I think I think um, it was a couple. I think it was about like our first episode that we did for game picks. I like convinced you. Like you just convinced yeah. me, Zach. Yeah. Um, I I think that Debo Samuel will again have a monster game because nobody can stop him from having a monster game. Um, I still think San Francisco has not solved the running back thing. You got Jimmy Garoppolo coming off of an injury. Uh, Trey Lance, I do not think is going to play in this game. I think he's still dealing with a knee sprain. Um, I just feel like, uh, I feel like Indy, even, even, uh, with, with San Francisco coming off a bye, um, I think they're going to be able to, to run the ball effectively. Um, Michael Pittman is, um, I, I think one of the up and coming receivers in this, in, in, in this league, um, the loss of Paris Campbell hurts, but they've got some other guys like Zach Pascal that can that can kind of make up for that. Um, I, I think I think Indy, I think Indy at least covers this game. Um, I'm a little surprised the the spread looks the way it does. Um, so give me give me the Colts here. Let's go. So I'm I'm going to be in agreement. We're all going to be on the Colts here. Um, this emergence of first of all, this San Francisco defense is not the same defense that that went to the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes. This just isn't the same unit. It doesn't look the same. Uh, they don't look as explosive. Nick Bosa has not been as disruptive. I mean, he's still good. Don't get me wrong, but um, this front seven does not look this, like the same team to me. Um, and on the back end, they're weaker than they were the year they went to the Super Bowl. Um, so this just doesn't look like the same defense. Kyle Shanahan has absolutely, again, we'll use the term unhinged. Um, we talked about, you know, John Gruden kind of being out of the room and how his team looked like they played more relaxed uh, when we were talking about the the Las Vegas Raiders. I think there's something similar happening with Kyle Shanahan. I think there's like a an ego that is continuing to grow um, and he's putting a ton of pressure on these players and I think they're playing afraid. I think they're playing mm-hmm. scared um, and his system that at any moment, I mean, it's hard to perform. I mean, think about just being in an office space or, you know, really anything that you try to do, whether it's athletics or whether it's intellectual, whatever it might be. But the fear of making any single mistake, just torpedoing any of your efforts and being cast aside and exiled, um, that's an unhealthy work environment. And that's the environment that Kyle Shanahan has created in San Francisco, with the exception of Debo Samuel. And for some reason, Jimmy Garoppolo seems exempt, even though they <laughs> traded up to get Trey Lance at number three. So we'll, we'll you know continue to harbor on that twisted logic. Um, alternatively, you look at someone who is uh, on the on the other side of this matchup in Frank Reich, who has really adjusted and tailored his offense around the strengths of his team, as opposed to trying to fit square pegs in around holes, uh, leaning on the run game and Jonathan Taylor, who's an absolute bell cow back, um, you know, potentially outside of Derrick Henry, he may be the top back in the NFL. Um, and 
you know, looking at what he's done with Carson Wentz over the past couple of weeks, and a lot of it has been, you know, kind of similar to what I had hoped Frank Reich would do. RPOs to keep Wentz comfortable, get the ball out of his hands quickly, quicken his decision-making. He is like Darnold and uh, Roethlisberger, has a tendency to hold on the ball too long. Um, these RPOs get the ball out of his hands quick, minimize the amount of hits. They're, they're leveraging play action, getting him in simplistic reads, moving him outside the pocket on bootlegs and rollouts uh, to get him towards the edge, away from the rush, make those reads really simple for him. And Carson Wentz, uh, now he doesn't look like 2017 Carson Wentz, but mm-hmm. he's getting a lot better. Um, and so I really like what I'm seeing from this offense. Uh, T.Y. Hilton coming back, being productive in his first game back. Michael Pittman uh, is only going to benefit from that in the coming weeks. Uh, you do have some other pieces like Zach Pascal, Mo Ali Cox getting involved in the passing game. Uh, and then you continue to see that Jonathan Taylor's involvement in this passing game is growing, uh, augmented by Naheem Hines. Um, there's a lot for me to love about this Indianapolis team, um, and there's a lot for me to hate about this San Francisco team. And it, it really comes down to the two coaches, and Frank Reich is showing what a true NFL coach is like, and Kyle Shanahan is showing what an egomaniac is like. A lot of people with Shanahan's record be on the hot seat right now. Absolutely. You give, okay, so just, I know we've gone way over time, but just, you know, the career record of Shanahan in in San Francisco, combine that with the um, trade that they that they just pulled this offseason, give up three number ones for backup quarterback, give that, give that to Dave Gettleman last year. Is he still employed now? No way. Um, no. Yeah, a lot of people in the hot seat. Agreed, agreed. Well, we'll jump into our last game, the Monday night game here. Then we'll do our survivors real quick, and then we will uh, we'll be out of here. Uh, but we got New Orleans against Seattle. New Orleans favored by five. Um, um, uh, this is very clear for me. Uh, Sean Payton against uh, you know pretty much rookie caliber quarterback in Geno Smith. Um, Chris Carson likely out. Uh, potential for um, Alex Collins, who ran really hard and deserves all the credit for a great game against Pittsburgh. But he is potentially out as well, leaving Rashard Penny as the only um, one of the only healthy backs uh, leading the Seattle backfield. Um, give me give me New Orleans in this game. You use my two notes, Matt. I had Peyton off a of bye week. Peyton versus Geno Smith. Uh, I said last week, Geno Smith is Geno Smith. There's not some gear we haven't discovered. He is who he is, and he proved it with that fumble in overtime. Um, yeah, New Orleans minus five. I'm I'm taking Seattle oh. sheerly for the fact that they are playing at home, um, and they have a, their plus four and a half. Um, listen. I know Geno Smith is Geno Smith, but Jameis Winston is also Jameis Winston. <laughs> so I, I mean, it, I, it, in in that case, like I don't, I, I think Winston's a little bit better, but I mean, I'll I'll, I'll gladly take the points in, in Seattle here on Monday Night Football. Um, so yeah, I'll t- I'll take Seattle. <laughs> Boom. All right. Well, quick one. So we spent a bunch of a bulk of our time on Detroit, Chicago, and Indianapolis. <laughs> So Midwesterners will be happy. Yep. <laughs> our our Pacific Northwesterners will be upset that we didn't, you know, everyone outside of Bill did not pick Seattle. Um, and we spent like four seconds on them. Anyway, um, so we will jump into our survivor picks. So this will be the last little chunk here. Um, so we're going to pick the 
Who who you got this week, guys? What are the what's the one team that you're going to guarantee your victory for? Cardinals. How could it be anyone else? Arizona. I mean, yeah, right. Cardinals. Yeah. Okay. Two on Arizona. I will be a little bit different. I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Rams um, in the revenge game. You know what? Switch me uh, to the Rams too. I'm on the Rams. Okay. Zach, I'm go with the Rams. Cardinals. Yeah. Um, but just a couple other ones because we know you guys do a bunch of different types of survivors and we're just kind of picking a team we think is going to win every single week. Um, but if you're looking for any sneaky plays, I would prescribe uh, New Orleans, I think, is a sneaky play. I think Vegas is a good one that you can use if you're looking to use somebody this week. Um, Atlanta, I think, is another good play you can be confident in. Um so those would be a couple other ones I'd recommend. I don't know if you guys feel particularly strong uh, about any of the sort of non-obvious ones, a.k.a. the ones that aren't 10-plus spreads. I feel pretty good about the Falcons, um, to be honest. Um, and then, yeah, Panthers I feel good about. Those are probably the only the only ones that are non-like the 10-point spreads, one that I would feel good, Broncos and, uh, and Falcons. Any anytime somebody says to me, I feel pretty good about the Falcons. It's like something went wrong. I, I'm sorry, I just well, can't. Well, a lot I has gone wrong. Bill. <laughs> I, I I think uh, the Panthers might be a good one. Um, and I think obviously I, I think the Patriots. You probably have already picked, but uh, another one I would go with would uh, potentially be. Yeah, no, I, Panthers are really the only other one that that probably hasn't okay. been widely used that I would go with. Um, I, I hesitate, uh, like the Falcons game in particular, like I don't, I don't like particularly picking teams uh, on the road. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me, give yeah. me, uh, give me Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Vegas would be mine, but Vegas would be the one that if you're, you're looking for a sneaky play or, or you know, a team that's not going to be widely used. If you're one of those, you, you know, limitations on how you can use teams. I think this is a good week for, for Vegas. Good stuff. Sweet. Always a pleasure, guys. That's it. Anything else anyone wants to add? Yeah. I, I, oh, I had uh, I had a draft of a uh, 90-page report I did on uh, Justin Fields' uh, throwing motion. <laughs> we'll start next week's off uh, on that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Sweet. No. Always a pleasure, guys. guys. All right. All right. Peace. Y'all take care. See you.